1: What is At Eye Level? A reductio ad absurd and look at the headlines, from politics to pop culture, from the corporate to the individual. Every Monday
0: at 6 p.m. Eastern, we take a not-so-serious look at the serious issues of the day. Whether it's
1: politics, economics, social issues, music, or old moves and TV shows, we discuss everything the corporate media overlooks while making you laugh at the absurdity of it all. Hell, you've got to have a sense of
0: humor about life. Just look at the headlines. So join me, Matt G. And me, Doc Savage. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern as we navigate the sea of trolls, talking points, and trickery.
1: We try to figure out a way to be there when tomorrow comes.
0: At iLevel, bringing more to you. Only
1: on the Big Poppa Network on Blog Talk Radio. I'll be waiting for. You're listening to Weird Season the World Line, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Today, we kick off our fourth season as we go south of the board on Big Pop Online Network. Off of the fourth season of Weird Sins Inside the Gold Mine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell and join me, Doc Savage, and my co-host Lewis Paul, as we discuss the beloved, the hated, the weird, the wonderful world of cult film, music, television, and more. So tonight, uh, we go south of the border to sunny South America. A uh, true pioneer and outsider cinema, Jose Mojica Marins fought both poverty and governmental center to create and release his homegrown cinema of philosophical and literal transgression, using throwaway celluloid short ends and scratching special effects directly in the emulsion to bring his uniquely Nietzschean anti-clerical Jei do Caixão, better known as Nish Shores Coffin Joe, and the full messianic madman Finnish hominis to an outraged but fascinated citizenry. Allegedly rediscovered and granted his English language moniker by none other than something weird, impresario Mike Brainey, their VHS reissues of these forgotten early 60s and mid 70s pieces of art Maudit brought what had been an exclusively South American boogeyman, complete with a series of horror comics hosted by and featuring him, to a somewhat controversial international attention. We'll also be moving further south to chat about free spirited Zafdig Argentinian hot tamale Isabel Sarli and her enabler, Amando Bo, uh, Fuego, for example. And the quirky sex heart of Emilio Vieira, films like uh, Flesh, Piece of Flesh, otherwise known as The Deadly Organ, Blood of the Virgins, and The Curious Doctor Hump. So it's a party down south of the border, uh, just in time for Cinco de Mayo. Only here on Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine. So uh, I'm Doc Savage, and with me is my co-host, Mr. Lewis Paul. Hi, Lewis. Mr. Lewis
0: Paul. Yeah.
1: We we call our cats Mister whatever. My grandmother used to always refer to me by my first name, like Mister. You know, <laughs> Mister Doc. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's been kind of a tradition in the family. Uh, so yes, you're the same respect. <laughs> so uh, how's everything going? How was your uh, event last week?
0: Which one was that? I am always
2: busy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: i <laughs> always busy. Um, actually, one thing I did want to say that uh, uh, two weeks ago I worked at a convention. We know that. Right. And uh, I hosted some Q&As and we had lots of downtime in between setups, so I was entertaining a room full of people. And uh, I wanted to say that some people did come up to me and said that they do listen to the show. Um oh because I was not feeding for, uh, fishing for it. You no, know, I didn't mention it, actually. I didn't get to mention it, and then they came up to me and said, oh, by the way, I've been listening to your podcast show. And I said, oh, wow, cool. And I had several <laughs> people that did. And um, uh, it's really nice. So thank you, those are listening. Uh, yes. Including Patrick Stanton, who who's, uh, I met last October, and uh, he's been listening. So, Patrick, thank you very much for hanging in there and enjoying it. Um, he, he really digs it And um, Nice, nice to get some feedback yeah. in person uh, Especially when You were, you were a little Like I was a little surprised like, Oh really, cool, that's nice
1: <laughs> So uh, thank you
0: all we, th- we always thank people at the end of the
1: show for listening um, Exactly So you I'm know gonna, what it just at the start On our end, it's all virtual, so you know. Sometimes we see numbers. Unfortunately, BlockTalk kind of screwed that up. First, so now we don't even know who's listening and who isn't. Uh, We don't get numbers on our past shows like we used to. Uh, But you know, and I do know that people that I know personally, some of them say they listen to this show or that show, but. You know you don't really expect it until it becomes real for you like that where you okay somebody that's basically a stranger walks to me and say, "Oh yeah, I heard you on that so uh again, just like you said i, I second that thank all you people for hanging in there with us through um, you know I guess our more crazed early days when we were trying to get each other's bearings uh the The difference between this podcast and the other ones that I'm involved with uh at least the ones I was involved with with other you know friends of mine that we were doing shows with uh as partnerships, I guess. Uh, is that those other people that I'm involved with? I've known for years. You know, one was a grammar school friend, one was a high school friend. You know, I've known you for how long? Maybe eight years. Uh,
3: and Likewise.
1: yeah, yeah. Um, you know, our interactions in terms of something like this, we didn't. We were kind of feeling each other out in the beginning, and you know, trying to cover so much material. I'm racing through. You're trying to catch up. We're going back and forth. When do, who squeezes in? When we still do that a little bit because it's live radio, but. Uh I think that things have gelled a hell of a lot more over the last couple of seasons. So I uh, appreciate all you folks for hanging in there through our uh you know, early days of uh and what do you want to call it, I guess rough starts, uh to get to where we are now. So uh hang in there is plenty more to come.
2: Yeah.
0: So is
1: there anything else you wanted to toss in? Since it was your uh your event I stepped into there?
2: <laughs>
0: no, no, no. Uh yeah, I just I just wanted to say it again, you know, we always say thank you for Outre of the show when we had it. And it just, just came into my mind And I was like oh I just want to Mention that going in
1: So yeah well, thank you We hope you enjoy this one Yes and that was a good word to use Outre in, in comparison you know, Speaking of words you said the gold mine Yes the films that we discuss And we ourselves are a bit outre So <laughs> it's apropos yeah. Uh, So anyway, this week uh, we're going to be talking about a couple of people. I guess the easiest – I mean we don't have to do it this way, but I figured would be to touch on the Argentinians first because the filmographies, even though none of these people did a lot of work, uh, are comparatively smaller, especially with what's over here in this country and either subtitled or dubbed or both. Um, So I'm going to start with the shortest of the filmographers, if you will, which is actually Isabel Sarli. She is – (laughs) <laughs> she was an Argentinian actress, and um, they, they called her like a glamour model. I don't know if that's the same thing, the implication it carries in Japan, where they have those gravori starlets who are basically just – what do you want to say? You know, teenage bimbos with big knockers, and they, they put them in all these uh, like uh, Sports Illustrated-type calendar poses, but more sleazy. And then a lot of them will graduate to either being, if they're lucky, a uh, J-pop idol, uh, like an idol singer or something, or part of an idol singer group. Or more likely, and happens a lot, they end up in AV, which is their equivalent of porn. Uh, So I don't know if that's the same story. And what's wrong with that? No. (laughs) Well, you know, that's what I'm saying. Uh, So it may very well be the same thing considering the movies that we have on hand here. But I don't know what they really meant when they said, oh, yeah, she used to be a glamour model. Yeah, it could be what I'm talking about here. She could be a Grivore model. Um, Basically... Uh, and for some reason, I mean, if you see some of these films, you might understand why, because they're hilarious. Uh, the Argentinians, at least at one point, loved her. She was kind of like, uh, I hate to say they're Marilyn Monroe or Bridget Bordeaux, because both of those women have a lot more class. <laughs> but, like, that's sort of a level of, oh, yeah, everybody knows who she is, and she's like the hot tamale, basically. Um, basically, she was a Miss Argentina at one point. And <laughs> This fellow who is a lot older, from at least when I've seen him, and he actually stars himself in the films, as we'll get to. Uh, this fellow, Amando Bo, who was a filmmaker, obviously, he saw her obviously because you know, she had exposure as Miss Argentina or whatever, and he developed this thing for her. I don't know how much of this is like you know a just Franco Lino Remay sort of a thing. Or uh, Roger Vadim with Bardot first, and then Jane Fonda, and then Catherine Deneuve. Uh, you know that's sort of a okay. You're my girlfriend slash wife uh, slash you know sex buddy, and <laughs> I'm gonna put you, make you famous, put you on screen, and have everybody else lust after you as well. I don't know how much of that is true, but. Uh, what you will see in the films that they have over here is that, like I said, Bo will usually be in the film himself. They seem, uh, in some ways, almost like they're trying to be semi-autobiographical, which is ridiculous when you get to something like Fuego. Um, And I do get that impression of a Franco-Romey sort of thing where, not the same idea, because Franco's more of a voyeur, and he liked you know, pushing or watching Lena do kind of like the Emmanuel books, uh, you know, making her do kinky shit for him and and he's not part of it if he gets to watch it and enjoy it. Um it, this is the kind of vibe I get, but it's worse. It's more of like I get a kick out of being cuckolded by you. All these other guys get to scree and you like, I'm still gonna be there to come back to which is like wow oh, that's really screwed up. But, you know, it happens uh, there's a, a trend in italian cinema if not culture that speaks to this um there's actually a good giallo with uh, gabriel lavia had written, directed, and starred in. Uh, ooh, what's the name of that damn thing? Maybe it was Craving Desire? It was in the mid-90s, maybe 96 or so. Oh, Serena uh, Grandy. Yeah, yeah. Was that with him? Okay. Because uh, Ola uh, remembers that she was basically, it was the same thing, it was like an Isabel Starling movie. She was a complete slut and he was, kept going back to her, he was like, hot for this, but then at the same time, she basically destroyed him because of it, because, you know, that, who, what guy really wants to be set up like that? Maybe a kinky fantasy or something, but you don't really wanna settle down with somebody like that when you get screwed over here and you sleep with all your friends. Uh so there's I, that I will say uh, Armando Bo's films did look
0: um professional. Yeah, you know, they did look yeah. they did look good. And uh well, well shot, yep. He took a Yeah, he well shot. He took a vent he had an eye. If he was his own D P his own cameraman, I'm not sure. Uh that's you know really getting deeper. But uh, they look good, and you know what's funny? They, 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 A lot of them have. I've seen a few of them, and a lot of them have that. That I've seen. The majority of them that I've seen have this very Western, uh, like our American Western kind of ambiance yes. to them. Um, That's true. Uh, so, uh, and and I think at least two. And again, I have to be blamed for not remembering which two. But, and I think at least two of them feature him as the older man who's crazy in love with her, which you just spoke of. And she she's not really, like, putting him to the side. It's funny. They, they usually end with her falling in love with him anyway. Yes. <laughs> but there's, like, this very girl really striking, the guys he's hiring to be uh, the, the, the other second leads in these movies. I mean, really good-looking guy, like Marble Men type, you know, like really... Boggering, you know, good-looking guys that you know you can see Isabel strongly falling for. So you know he also <laughs> cast well. Um, yeah, the movies reminded me of Western. She is striking. Wow.
1: Yeah, she um, is. I mean, even though I'm talking about how basically cheap she is as a character, at least I don't know if this how much this is autobiographical. Um, she is a good-looking woman, and she, you know she's Zoftig, but zofdig in all the right places. You know, it's it's like. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anita Eckberg before she got fat, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, but even more so because. Pretty, uh, yeah, yeah, because she's got that Latin hot tamale sort of thing where it's like, yeah, you know, she's going to be okay in a sack. You know, it's not like she's going to be stiff and boring here. Uh, she's definitely got something going there. Um, and you're right about this, how a lot of them had, not Fuego, but. For example, uh, two of the ones that I wanted to address here, uh, the female of 70s times 7, which was actually a co-feature when something weird put out the mm-hmm. Fuego disc. Uh, and the other one being one that Code Red recently put out. Uh, they misspelled it mujer, but I think it's like – you know because the original kind of was the mujer uh, de mi padre, the girl of my mother uh, – of my father, rather. So basically it's exactly what you described. He's got a guy who's supposed to be his son. He goes back to help on the ranch or whatever, and it we'll go into that film. Uh, and he comes back, and his father's living with this, you know, his hot tamale was younger than him, uh, and... She's already kinda of easy because you know, he goes down to the local bar and she's there flirting with all the guys and more so than even Bordeaux and got creative woman, you know, where she was going and doing all the sexy dances in the local pubs and you know, dancing with the guys playing the bongos and all that shit. Uh this mm-hmm. was more of a yeah, I'm gonna title with you guys but I'm then gonna go make out with you and whatever the hell else besides and maybe I'll go home with you. And he's sitting there, you know, just glazing over with lust like uh, some horny guy who's never been to a strip bar before, uh, looking at a stripper. And. It becomes this whole weird dynamic where she's with the father. She feels like she owes him. I forget what the exact deal was. Uh, but maybe because he raised her up from being a common slut. I don't, I don't know what the story was there, what the dynamic was to <laughs> a But whatever it was, she felt indebted to the older guy. And the son comes in, but of course, you know, since he's younger – I don't know if I agree with you 100%. I know what you're saying about them trying to be like Marlboro Men. They definitely had that tough, rugged vibe in a lot of cases. But especially mm. in this one, I remember the guy was kind of weird looking and skinny. <laughs> uh, oh, not in every film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you yeah. know, nonetheless, uh, she ends up falling for him because, you know, number one, he's totally hot for her. Uh, number two, he's younger and therefore more feral. Uh So they end up having a thing going on. And he basically... I don't know if he convinces or tries to convince himself that he did uh, to go run away with him and like, you know, rubs it in the father's face. The father kind of knows what's going on. He's pissed off. But once again, being in a Madden of film, he doesn't say much. He just kind of lets it go. I'm like, all right, whatever. You know, I know what you're doing, but you know, I'm going to walk away and pretend I don't see it. And at the end – she changed her mind and says no i 'm not going to go away with you after the father and son get in the big ass fist fight, and I think the son threatened to kill him and it got to that level of you know the the Latin machismo flowing and the the camper flare uh, and at the end, she decides, you know, I'm not going to go with you. I, you know, I, I really supposedly love this guy, or at least feel like oh, i owe him and should be with him, as opposed to you. Which, and you can kind of read into it like, well, yeah, you're a young bum. You don't have any money. <laughs> this guy's taking care of my ass, and he's got a nice ranch. <laughs> so I'm going to stay that way. But one way or the other, he ends up with her at the end. And the guy, the son, walks off, and you know, the family is broken because of this. You know? Okay. And that's kind of what all these films have to some extent. Uh, the female was a more boring version of it. It was actually pretty early in uh, the Beau sarley collaborations. Um, this one... I don't know. I mean, again, it was the same idea where it's sort of a Western, and she ends up going and spending the night with this guy supposedly reluctantly, and then she ends up staying there and cooking meals for him. But there's also this thing of, oh, yeah, guys are coming by because they want to check her out or screw her or whatever. And it it was very boring, and of the the three films that I had seen with her, it was definitely the least. Um, So did you want to address – Either those two films before we go on to what is really the pinnacle of her of her known career, which is Fuego. Uh
0: yeah, Embruada, uh, which is actually probably the only genre type one I have seen her do. Uh, I guess it could be the witch. Uh, and it, and it's kind of uh almost Italian esque in its um uh approach where Yo, know, it's kind of back, more backwoodsy of of the of the few Armando <laughs> the movies I saw. It's more backwoodsy, and it's
2: uh, he
0: goes to a uh, a witch, an older, you know, almost a caricature of you know the, the witch with the pointy nose and all that shit, <laughs> um, because he's he's crazy. Not nuts about her. He, he watches her, but he doesn't know that she's an acolyte of the witch. So she's using her bazanga body, banging guys. He's he's lusting after her, and he goes to the witch for potions and shit. And of course, they're not working because she's already a witch. Very interesting <laughs> movie because I found that by the end of the film, it, it, very. I definitely one of the few I saw that had a kind of a religious overture thing going on. But by the end, she decided, I don't want to be a witch. I want to be a stay-at-home mom. And oh, then my older
1: man Bang my Hot Body. Oh. So, uh, you know, my, I'm sticking a finger down my throat right now, but go ahead.
2: <laughs> well, you
0: know, it was entertaining for a song. Uh, uh, I I I used to, I had this relationship with this uh private tape collector years ago, uh back in the VHS Only Days. And this guy lived in Queens and he just had Amazing shit And he had a bunch of Almost all these things So I was like I had to be picky Of Jews You know like From my own Discovery of. Hopefully these are The best of the Isabel Charlotte Because I didn't watch Every one of her films No He was also A bit of a weirdo too But (laughs) (laughs) It's like She's amazing I said yeah She's hollering But I don't need to see Every one of these things (laughs) But yeah Ember Was probably the one Genre related
1: title But now you go All right, so now we come to the film that basically everybody knows, and there's a reason for it. Uh, I had gotten this, you know, because I was pretty faithful to something weird. I enjoyed almost all the image discs they put out. There was a couple of stinkers, but there weren't that many. They usually had impeccable taste, and if you didn't like the first feature, you loved the second feature, or if you didn't like either feature, which was rare, you would like the extras they put on or the third feature if there was one. Um, So this was one that I had gotten, I'm like – I don't know how this is going to turn out, and I'd seen the female. I was like, oh, this is horrible. I basically forwarded through a lot of it, it Was that bad, but I got to Fuego, and I was like, wow, <laughs> I can't fucking believe this movie. John Waters loves this film, and there's a reason for that. Uh, this film is, wow, it, it's campy, uh, it's the sort of thing that you could see being one of those, you know, films like Mommy Dearest that really just totally, you know, it's a Film that has complete appeal to the gay audience. This is one of those mm. films. It's unfucking believable. Uh, even the description that we're going to give it here does not give it justice. Basically, first of all, it's got this ridiculous overdramatic song, "Fuego," oh, you know, like, really, like an Italian lounge singer, but worse, you know, like Jerry Vale or something. Um, so, basically. The idea of this thing is that she is so hot to trot. You know, she's the thing about the fire. She's got a fire down in her snatch. Basically, she's so like horny that she will jump the bones of any guy in sight, and I mean any guy at any time. I mean, when we say that the basic plot of the film is that she's a nymphomaniac and really can't get past it no matter how she tries or wants to, that sounds just kind of silly, right? It sounds like a plot for a porno. Well, you see this film, and you're going to be laughing your ass off. There's no way you can't. I mean, there's like old fat plumber types walking down the street, and she'll start like she's standing in like a fur coat with nothing on underneath it, and she'll start like touching herself, and the, rest of the guys get all like, ooh, the big guys, whoa, what the hell's going on here? And she kind of lures them into the alleyway, or worse, brings them back to their, her freaking boyfriend's house and bangs them there. I mean, there's construction workers, there's like <laughs> teenagers you know getting on bicycles and shit. It's crazy, no matter where this woman goes, she's got to be screwing somebody. I think she might even screw some women in the film I mean it's like and that's most of the plot, and the rest of it being the Amanda Bo character, whose house she's living at and her ostensible keeper, uh not only getting cuckolded and trying to ignore it, or you know just kind of like, oh, well, don't do that anymore, and she doesn't anyway. maybe he'll slap her around <laughs> for him and try to stop. <laughs> yeah, maybe he'll slap her around for a minute to try to assert his machismo, and then you know she'll do it anyway. Like I ah, screw you, I'll screw who I want, and or she'll like ball him for a second, and he's happy, and she goes out and does it again. Uh, <laughs> but you know, uh, oh yes, I won't do it anymore, but my loins won't let me stop. Uh, <laughs> but besides this the whole town knows that he's being cut golded and the other yeah. part of the subplot is they're laughing at him the whole time. So everybody goes like, Oh yeah, how's your girlfriend? Yeah. Yeah. Anybody uh, anybody you know not sleep with her today? <laughs> and he gets all pissed off and he gets really surly and you know he might have even run around with a shotgun at one point. I know at one point he busted into his own house with a shotgun, and, like kicked out of the door when she screwed somebody in the bedroom. Um it is. I mean, to hear this is already ridiculous. But to watch this film in action with that stupid song playing throughout over and over, and these really over-dramatic, overly torrid soap opera taken to the extreme sort of scenarios, it's like. Wow. I, I've either seen like the worst freaking film ever made or the best one I've ever seen in my life. So it's really – if you have not seen Fuego, you have not seen the Isabel Sarley film. And if you've seen Fuego, the other ones will probably let you down a bit. I mean I was not – you because know, after that I was like, oh, Isabel Sarley, if I ever saw it come up, which is rare anyway. Uh, but – yeah, the other ones don't really hold up as well. I mean, it gets some of the same elements. It's the same dynamic going on, but Fuego's unbelievable. <laughs> uh, your turn.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, well, that's.
0: I mean, that's. thats a key, uh, You hit upon a key point. Uh, all these films are pretty much similar. They're, yeah, the same kind of dynamic going on. You know, like uh, Yeah, uh, you nailed it. The co cook-hold, the called older guy, the co called husband, the co boyfriend, the co lover. While she bangs everybody else.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but, but
0: because he directed this. And you know they lived together until his death. Yes. So from like uh sixty eight to eighty one. So I mean they, they obviously had something going. Either that or she was chained up somewhere. Um, <laughs> um So it's funny that I'm trying to place my thoughts here. It's funny that they actually had a relationship and they lived together and, and I don't know, maybe they had a child light on that. But I mean she's she must have been well aware of the films she's making where <laughs> her boyfriend slash lover is making the same movie over and over and over, you know? <laughs> and, and and they they I Yes, they did financially well. Uh, uh for the I guess the height of her fame, Fuego was sixty eight. She was like churning I don't know, five or six of these out for like the next two or three years and then yeah. slowed up a little seventies.
2: Really strange. Yeah.
3: yeah. So uh
1: basically she did keep doing these like you said, she was doing several a year at that point. Uh and once she got into in you know, the 70s, she started slowing down to maybe one a year. And once we got past 1980, she did almost nothing. Um, I understand that she did, uh, what was it, a documentary? Oh, it was a political yeah. drama or some crap uh, with was, her. Yeah,
0: a documentary about her, actually.
1: Yeah, and her like, goddaughters that. in it and everything. I was like, okay, it's. <laughs> All right, whatever. But, you know, at this point, she was already kind of an established Argentinian sex symbol. And, you know, you can understand why. I mean, if you don't mind the fact that she's, like, completely whoring herself around. It was, like, the cheapest woman imaginable. Uh, She's certainly attractive enough, and she's certainly uh, lit up the screen with torrid passion that she couldn't control herself, apparently. Uh, You you really got to wonder. Go ahead.
0: You know, what's really interesting is that Wikipedia. This daddy had his Armando Beau had a spouse from 56 to 81, which
2: is he his <laughs> death.
0: But if you wow. look onto Isabel Sarley, her partner is Armando Beau from 56 to 81. <laughs> so that's another interesting thing I wanted to throw in there. It's like, yeah. what?
1: Yeah, I mean, the closest analog for me is Franco and Lena Rome because at least on screen, that's what he got off on. Mm-hmm. Uh Here I don't know it feels a little more naturalistic. It feels a little more real, and he really seems to. You know, Franco was always kind of like the voyeur, and he like you could see him even when he was on screen watching her. He's like, "Mm, okay, I like that. Whereas Amanda Bo, I mean, this is more of. I'm getting cuckolded. and I'm sad, but I'm going to put up with it anyway. I'm like, well, why do you keep making this damn film? I mean, is is this a fantasy of yours? Is this a real-life thing you're trying to work out? Are you trying to tell her something and she's not listening? <laughs> you know, what is this? I don't understand the, the, the relationship dynamic and how much of this is just some weird fantasy, something he just kept working out over and over and over again, like Wan, and how much of it was... Autobiographical, I guess, because they feel that way. It's a smaller film, it's so they're intimate and they're so ridiculous you can't possibly say somebody sat here and scripted this thing out like they thought they had a good movie on their hands. <laughs> so
0: Yeah uh, yeah, Fuego is, is very I mean, uh, yeah, these are softcore. But Fuego was
1: uh That's pretty steamy. hard. Yeah. <laughs> pretty hard softcore, hard ore, I guess.
3: Uh Yeah, and, and
0: they're and they're there are moments, in, in, in actually in the Fuego, too, where you're like, hmm, is that like slippage? What's going on there? Actually, yeah. some of the Isabel Sarli Armando Mondo Bo films are verge on the edge there. Mm-hmm. Um, at, yeah, like if you're reading some of uh, Mondo Digital, uh, what is that, Nat Thompson? Some that. of his mm-hmm. Mondo Digital online reviews, uh, when he reviews these kind of movies from time to time. You no, know, like he says the same thing. Says, this guy looks at a lot, of movies. and he's like, uh, "Oh yeah, you know, you're watching a softcore movie." And you're like, wait a minute, what was that we just saw? You know, so <laughs> there are moments like that in in these in these Bo Solling pictures for sure. And uh, if we made you interested by uh, talking about this, yeah, we say uh, try to search these out.
1: Yeah, especially Fuego. And, you know, even after I said hardcore, I kind of regretted it because a lot of people think that and they're thinking like a harder Skinamax movie. No, this is pretty. It borders on like the French softcore films of the 70s, uh, which really already is pushing the envelope. But even to some extent, because of the. It doesn't have that cold Gallic uh, intellectualized sexuality, uh, as passionate as that can be. This is hot South American, you know, fuck me, ah! You know know how it gets. Uh, This is that kind of a film. So you are really going to be, one way or another, you're going to be laughing your ass off for sure. And you're going to have your eyebrows raised many, many times throughout the course of this picture. Uh, So I do highly recommend uh, going and digging this one up. Uh, So... Another uh, Argentinian. Uh, again, this was really supposed to be a Coffin Joe show, but I was like, well, why don't we throw these two in because both of them are fun, and you know, we're talking about South of the Border. It's a little bit, uh, a little bit south of Brazil, but nonetheless, Argentina. yeah, no, it's
2: a good idea
0: because even though he has a variety of films, and and we'll we'll certainly discuss the bigger ones. There's there's a certain sameness that does.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, Coffin very much so. Joe,
0: and and. Uh, and also, uh, you know, but we, we will discuss the variety of his movies, you know, the good ones at least, not a yeah. single one. But no. there is the same, as, which is the same thing that's probably going to happen when we talk about the, the Mexican horror, uh, and when we discuss some of the wrestling films. There are some really good ones in those, and then there's a lot of them there. Like, a, they're
2: tangible. <laughs> sure. That's
0: But
1: so, the next okay. guy we're
0: talking about is Emilio Vieira.
1: Yes. Now, this fella, um, I understand that he actually went by a different name sometimes. Uh, you know, Raul Zoria, they said on Wikipedia. I don't know if that was it, but I do remember at one point seeing something that had a different name on the credits. I'm like, what the hell? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, he was definitely poking around there. Um most of his career, we're talking about Sarley, was kind of the late 60s to early 70s. Most of this guy's career was pretty close. It was more like mid to late 60s, you know, 66 to 69 or so. Um, he was poking around for a lot of years. I mean, let's just see how far back he goes. 62, he started off making films. He did about... Six of them that, you know, really don't apply to us and not really cult films. And he did keep going right up till 2005. i will be obviously gr- vastly diminished once he hit the 90s. Um, most of his stuff falling in the 70s and 80s. But again, in terms of uh, the uh, horror cult up. films... Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he ended up making porn, too. <laughs> wow. He did.
0: He- yeah, uh, I only know this because
1: I've seen them. Uh. <laughs> Was that the two that I'm seeing here that I have not seen that you would think might be cult films, but I don't know if they are? The the Vengeance del Sexo and La Bestia Desnuda, the, the nude beast and Vengeance of Sex? Oh no, they're not
0: porn. They're not porn. Okay. They're, these are they're actually their
1: titles that don't appear
0: on here. Uh, I think I know where you're looking. Okay. Uh, actually. Some of his later movies, 84, Toto Inada Nada, and Sucedio, and Il Intonado, I'm murdering him. Those are crime okay. movies. Those are crime okay. Movies. These police pictures. He did do a bunch of those, too. Now, the nude beast, uh, I've seen that. Yeah, those, uh, I want to talk about those again.
1: Okay. Uh, well, the three that I have seen, because I figured, okay, this guy got these three mm-hmm. films of note, but those two kind of struck out to me. like, well, there's something, but I haven't seen them, so I don't know. Uh, the first one was probably the least, uh, Blood of the Virgins, which I think was actually the first one that came out on disc here uh, from, I think, on the Macabre back when. And it's it's got its merits. You know, it's... Um, Basically, it's trying to be like an Italian gothic horror, in a way. Uh, Exactly. There's this whole business with this girl who's supposed to be getting married, and uh, some guy goes in, he shows up and kills the boyfriend and turns her into a vampire, and then there's a bunch of, like, hippie types that show up at this abandoned, you know, whatever the hell it is. Um, I guess it's like a hunting watch sort of a thing, yeah. yeah. Because, you know, of course, the van breaks down, the usual thing. And then there's this whole, like, soap opera thing of, okay, she shows up and she's making it with one of the guys and, uh, you know, everybody else is trying to figure out what the hell's going on and, you know, did this guy turn into a vampire? I don't know. It it was okay. It's certainly watchable, but compared to the next two films we're going to get to, eh, you know, it was like, whatever, take her to leave it. When it came out, I was like, really? That's it? Because, again, we told him on the in those days, they were another label I used to be able to trust. And when they brought out stuff like that, I was like, eh, wasn't that great. I don't know. <laughs> it was a right, like, mm. kind of a letdown. It was one of the first of, you know, they started going towards the kind of things they're putting out now, which are just like, oh my God, but <laughs> why are they doing this?
0: Well, but, uh, well, they put that out because Pete Toombs, you know,
1: he had a whole uh, chapter on,
0: on Vieira in uh, uh, his Mountain Macabre book. And I think they were trying to see if that movie moved and, of course, it didn't. And I would like to have seen more of his stuff come out
2: because
0: yeah. I saw all of Vieira's pictures in Spanish um, before that showed up uh, on, on disc from on the Macabre. And um, Blood of the Virgins, that's the one we're discussing. I actually had a uh, VHS of that. Stupid me. I should have kept it. And Vistia <laughs> Desnuda. I uh, know. Yeah, shoot me now. Um. Uh, I know you, but back then you didn't think, and you when you weed after a couple of years, And you weed after. Uh, I don't want
2: yeah.
0: this. sound Like an idiot, and then you find so, out. Oh, oh my God, nobody's ever gonna put this out.
1: Yep, that's the and, problem. And the.
0: Yeah, and then I had I had a disc. I had a disc of Sangre Divergence in Spanish for English subs. <laughs> what did I do? I got rid of it when Mondo Macabre one came and I'm like, I thought the other one was better. <laughs> you know, picture and, quality.
1: But, and correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't that film actually in color? Whereas the next two films yeah. we're going to talk about were in black and white and they were later. Yes. But, um, I don't, yeah. I don't know what the hell that was all about. Well, uh, well the, the new beast is desaturated,
0: but anyway, um getting back to blood of the virgins. Uh, I we discussed Nashi not too long ago, and actually this yes. movie came up again last week because uh, I think it's Klimovski, Dracula's Great Love. Oh yes, Yeah, and, and there is a similarity to that. Uh huh. I as a as a younger man, I really liked Blood of the Virgins because they were you know I'm not big on blondes, and you know these blondes had there was a lot of nudity. In this movie oh, yeah. That's number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Isabel Solly and Argentinians, they love those busty girls mm-hmm. And um, And the blonde has had puffy nipples too And that was like, wow It was striking, you know, because yeah. The vampire likes to Why did I mention that? Okay, I'm going to get to that um, The vampire likes to bite His <laughs> busty female victims On the breast And yes. the woman who's like, he he really has a thing For it, she has like abnormally Large puffy nipples, and I was like wow, this is, like, <laughs> making me watch this more. Because it's so bizarre.
1: Yeah, um, that's true. I didn't touch on the, that, nope. but the girl is pretty damn attractive. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, there, there was no
0: kink <laughs> happening beyond beyond my own personal, like, or mind connection to that. But um, <laughs> I liked it. I did like it. It is slow, the pacing. What's yeah. the, pro- the problem with the era films, though? He's He's got, like, weird pacing. Um,
1: um didn't it feel like so, a scooby would be new to you though that that was the impression I got, especially when the hippies showed up. Well, yeah, there's the hippies, and if you remember there's the ineffectual
0: police yep, this ineffectual police uh it's a fun movie though I, I i i still say i liked I like it better than you and and it's it's got weird merits going for it, but it's yeah it's yeah.
1: I mean, and I don't hate Not it. The... Don't get me wrong here. It's just compared to no, the next I two, I was like,
0: eh, I don't know. <laughs> well, was an odd one well to I really know. What you... one. The next two, uh, what? Are you got Curious Dr. Hump?
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, first, though, it's The Feast of Flesh. Cause I think that was like a year earlier, or two years earlier, uh, which was also The Deadly Organ, depending on how you looked at it, uh,
3: mm-hmm. which is really organ, kind
1: of tongue-in-cheek. Yes. Uh, both of them appear in a something weird this together, which is wonderful. Um The Deadly Organ is kind of a tongue-in-cheek joke because you start thinking things like The Amazing Transplant or whatever. No, it's not talking about his penis being deadly. He actually plays an organ. (laughs) So uh, it was kind of a joke title there. Um, Basically, this one feels in a lot of respects – like a one of the earlier Mario Bava sort of Jallo pictures. Uh, it's still gothic, you know, it's still got the Italian Gothic sort of thing going on. But it's more uh stalk and slash. There was a uh, Filipino film that had uh, what's his name there? Uh Vic Diaz in it. Uh it was originally on a disc with blood suckers. Blood no bloodthirst. The hell was the name of that thing. Uh, I really liked that picture. And somebody released it again recently, like maybe it was Code Red or somebody. Uh, again, on a double feature. Um, can't remember the name of the damn movie, unfortunately. But it was on a disc with Bloodsuckers, a horrible Peter Cushing, uh, you know, R. Chetwin Hayes, whatever the hell film. Um, mm-hmm. And it reminds me a lot of that, which was sort of crossing like an Orson Welles, noir x sort of thing, like maybe a touch of evil, if you will, uh, with... Mario Bava around the time of The Girl Who Did Too Much. Um, That's the kind of vibe you're going to get here, except that the guy's running around in a goofy mask, like a monster mask. Um, You know, and it keeps luring people out to this beach, and there's a lot of nightclub stuff in it, which is another reason it made me think of the film that, unfortunately, I can't remember the name of right now. It's Blood Something, I'll tell you that. I just don't know what the hell uh, the rest of it is. Um... It also reminds me a bit of a Franco film, or a lot of French films. Like we've been watching some of those Eddie Constantine films, and they're often set around nightclubs, if not strip clubs as well. Uh, that kind oh, of yeah. a, that kind we of a setting, that it. kind of a feel. Uh, you know, oh yeah, we'll definitely do that. Don't worry about it. Uh, we'll, we'll mention him in passing when we do the Eurospy anyway. But yeah, um, you know, it's I really like this film a lot. Um, to some extent, I don't want to say it's better than The Curious Dr. Hump, which was the lead feature, this is kind of a co-feature, but I kind of think it is. <laughs> it's got atmosphere. It's got gorgeous girls. It's got all the stuff that I just mentioned, all the nice settings, uh, decent music. It's I don't know. I just like it a hell of a lot. Uh, whereas Curious Dr. Hump is loads of fun. Uh, it's probably the film everybody really knows him for. And it's not mm. that different in some ways. You don't have all the uh, gothic or Jalo stuff going on. But, again, it's some crazy guy going around and kidnapping women. And it's the kind of thing where it's poorly explained. It's kind of like a cross between uh, – what was the one with the severed head that you used to show on Mystery Science all the time? Cross that oh, the one. Oh, the brain that wouldn't I die? brain that wouldn't die. Cross that with the frozen dead. Uh, You know, that's sort of a thing of, like, bad, mad scientists, maybe even crossing a frozen scream a little bit, you know, the Renee Harmon film. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet what he's doing when he's injecting them with this stuff or pulling the fluids out or whatever is to go and partially force them to have sex, (laughs) Uh, but also so there's like a – uh, Ponce de Leon kind of a thing where it's like, okay, well I can live forever this way. Uh Drew, I don't know, taking the it's almost like Robert Reich. Maybe he was reading Robert Reich at the time. Not the uh economist, but the guy that was doing <laughs> stuff like uh you know remember remember the Orgone and all that stuff, how sex was gonna liberate yeah. you? Uh Jack Nicholson was a big fan back in the sixties. Um that guy. It was awkward. Oh, that's- I liked Reich. I mean he was a little crazy, but you know, if you get gonna compare him to like Carl Young, at least he was advocating fucking. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean it was that kind of thing. It was like an orgone generator. He was trying to dra- drag the orgone out of these people that were screwing and therefore by you know, give people eternal life through this fluid that he was getting. It's really a ridiculous plot, obviously. It's funny, but you know, uh compared to Feast of Flesh. I liked it a lot less, but both of them are great, and they are both on the same disc, so it's a win-win situation. Uh, so and, about and, you? and this movie, this this movie is different from the Spanish
0: version. Um, the original Spanish version is different. The uh, what
1: was that plus their
0: sangriento. <laughs> <sighs> What's it called? Oh, um, Vengeance
1: del sexo. That's what I was
0: it's it, yeah. Yeah, which is which yeah. Which is uh you know, it's got the nudity, nudity in it and you got this pretty much the same elements but they, they added the monster thing. You know, more of that monster thing?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That appears in this movie. Uh, they probably thought like, Well, i gonna get this. I, which I don't understand at all. Sex exploitation back in the day I mean look at the crazy crap they've put out. Some of it terribly <laughs> I think this would've done well enough just dubbed. But no, they had to go and add something in, which makes it even
1: crazier. Oh come on, I love those Dale Berry movies, those ones from Texas. Uh who are those other guys down there? I can't remember them all now. Uh stuff like the naughty shutter and <laughs> uh what was it, the, the Virgin and the Ape or whatever the hell it was? Those things are great. You know, eat, drink and be merry. <laughs> you can talk about but, weird yeah. exploitation of the era. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's just um but, yeah, you're right. I mean, you, he you did throw in the, everything but the kitchen sink into this one. So you've got partially yeah. a horror film, partially a mad scientist film, partially this sort of Reikian organ therapies thing, and partially, you know, a sexploitation film. So <laughs> you can't yeah, lose. Yeah. Well, you
2: can.
1: No, you can't. No,
0: they both look good. And, you know, the, the, you were talking about the previous movie, The Deadly Organ, which is uh, you know, something that came to my mind, which is I'm, I'm sure if we ever was. Uh... Influenced by British films and British directors. I mean, it definitely appears in his work at this time period. Um, you know, that, that goes without saying.
1: So, about, anything else you want to yeah. say about these two? No. Yeah, but you said you had seen other Vieira films, so did you want to touch on them? Yeah, the yeah.
0: The New Beast.
1: The New Beast.
0: <laughs> I love The <laughs> New Beast. So the nude beast is like 71 i think and it's it's kind of desaturated color it's funny um you know kind of like brought down a lot the color on that and uh so it's like verging on black and white but not really right and uh this one's got ton of nudity I'm surprised uh, maybe just nobody was interested in bringing it out like what can we the the closest thing to it is uh, sort of like Beast of the Yellow Night, the Filipino movie with oh, John Ashley.
3: Sh-
1: yeah,
0: and the new Beast had it's had a, it has a theatrical setting, so um, there are these <laughs> busty starlets, and busty would be starlets, and they're in a theatrical setting. Backs it's a backstage kind of movie, and there's there's a maniacal killer. Who may or may not be this guy? Was pretty handsome, the old Doctor Jackal and Mister High kind of thing. But he, right. he may or may not be turning. And I don't want to give it away. And I just get to see. It. So, me why I should watch it. so um, we do give away things sometimes for movies everybody's seen. So we're not. <laughs> we don't care. But something is obscure of this. If you do track it down, no, it's it's worth seeing.
1: Yeah, so um, one of you guys out there, take heed and put this one out because I'd love to see it myself. <laughs>
0: I'll look around as possi- possible. I might have it on one of my older discs. Whether it still plays, I don't know. Because before I sold a pre-record, I uh, in the early days of uh, recordable DVD players, I did copy a lot of stuff.
1: Oh, and I'll also say yeah. that before I forget it. It actually came to the tip of my tongue, the, the movie I was searching for before. I think it was just called Blood Thirst, which is pretty generic, which is why I couldn't remember the damn thing. Yeah. Uh, so that's the one I was referring to that was a hell of a lot like The Deadly Organ. Uh, and it, that's the Filipino one with the big BS. Let's see. Originally, it was on something weird with the uh, bloodsuckers. And then somebody, well, else recently, somebody else recently put it out. I don't know. Maybe it was Vinegar Syndrome. Maybe it was oh, Code Red. Yeah, somebody had put it out again. And it wasn't an enormous upgrade. I mean it did bring out the, the colors more or whatever, but uh the original is just fine as it was. Uh but I love that film regardless. Uh definitely worth checking out.
3: So uh mm-hmm.
1: since I was searching around with it and mentioned it like seven times, that's what it was, bloodthirst. So to those interested. Um Yeah, yeah. So the new the nude beast I highly
0: recommend. I really like that one. Uh it's you know, got a good ambiance going in. You know, he's got a certain style when he works with his horror element. And then Vieira started working with hardcore crime. Like, uh, um, I guess this is a little later than the heyday of the Italian police, you know, police thrillers that we talked about, like, months ago, but um, they're in that vein. You know, because I guess he's, he's talking about, like, true-life reflections of the violence, uh, crime, and, you know, in, inadequate police force can't protect people, blah, blah, blah. So some of this stuff is really violent, super violent. But we're not talking about fast car chases, but we're talking about the just, uh,
3: uh,
0: not like on a level of live like a man, die like a cop, but some of the, maybe the Maurizio Morelli kind of pictures. Yes, yeah, so some of his stuff is on that level, and uh, it was enjoyable, but of course not as good as horror films. And then, and then he started making sex movies, talking about hardcore, <laughs> and um, they are very disappointing because he certainly had a visual eye, and you know it's like uh, when we speak about Marin shortly, it's giving me the same thing. You now, Marin's. Delved into hardcore too mm-hmm. And
1: uh, Stuff was horrible <laughs>
0: hard-
1: yeah, no, it well, is. Isn't that it's the really case hard- with a lot of them Because you know Franco's The, the one or two had seen were a little dicey Even though the girls were pretty um, You know uh, I, I'm talking about Sorry I'm never wrong with that uh, But Franco's I've never seen any of them uh, But you said they were horrible And who else was there I mean I saw Steckler that was awful I saw um Doris Wishman did a couple. They were awful. Um, you know, a lot of these directors well, Steckler, they would take a did a few under a pseudonym. And some
0: of those aren't too bad. I mean, not all Franco sex movies are horrible. So, some, some, some are. The guy's on his own level of craziness. You know, <laughs> some are watchable, and some are. But some aren't as good. You know, like you know who made better f- just Franco type sex movies than Franco did was Michelle Lemoine,
3: That really? weird creepy looking okay. guy. Yes.
0: With <laughs> your favorite actress, Jeannie Renoir.
1: Oh god, uh, with the Eurospy <laughs> films I've been watching. I've seen her at least three times. I'm like, wow, this is why you're a huffer, I guess. But oh, wow. <laughs> we'll get to them when we get there. A couple weeks from now. <laughs> <laughs> we <gotta appreciate> that.
0: <laughs> and uh, and the funny thing was, you know, we're taking just a short digression here because we're good for time tonight. Um, Michelle Lamoire, he was crazy about Janine, who was yes. in uh, Kiss Me, Monster, Succubus, and Two Undercover Angels. You know, three really good Franco movies. And he kind of like snatched her up from someone. almost like an Armando Ball-Isabel
1: Sarli thing, but she was not <laughs> Elizabeth
0: Sarli. You thought she was tranny looking? Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> And a masculine voice when she sings. But well, we'll get to that. When do girls find that? Ah,
0: I, I, I would
1: have, I would have. Well, anyway, but um, he made, he made a
0: couple, he made a couple of explicit, explicit movies. The Felines was one. He made two or three with her. Barry and Bouquet, which is really quite good, actually. It's a drama, and um, maybe he's trying to prove she wasn't a story. <laughs>
2: She was a hairy young
0: redhead.
3: For those who like,
0: what, what's that? Her fun. suit. Her suit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and the funny yeah. thing was, they couldn't really, because we're talking now, what is it, 68, 69, 70. Nobody wants to touch this thing. Serbia's making hardcore in the States. Yep. So I think what happened is they added stuff in here, just a couple of Michelle Lemoine's pictures. And they did very well with them. A few of them had people like uh, Mark Stevens, you know, like guys just like <laughs> stunt cocks, stunt pussies, you know. And the funny thing was, Michel Lamont, as, uh, after the mid he tried to do some acting in the mid 70s. He went full, full, totally into hardcore. So he was a wow. big French
1: hardcore filmmaker, and his stuff was strange. Um, <laughs> well, even his cult films of that era were really strange. Uh, I think actually yeah. Malcolm Carver put out one or two of them. Really odd guy all around. But yeah, again, like Seven we, Women for Satan is one of them. That's, think, yes, yeah. that's one of them. Yep. Uh, yeah, I mean a lot of uh not even stuck and slash but that line of like you because know, he's a creepy guy. he like a, his eyes will, like pop out of his head basically and he stares at women. Uh oh he's staring, that's he's hot. A, you he
2: know. Line,
0: he's got a very speed <laughs> be- <line> look.
1: <laughs> he was perfect for and Renoir, you know? Yeah, well there you go. They, they switched genders almost.
2: <laughs> but anyway, so that's
0: that's our discussion on Vieira. You know, he 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 did very well with these pictures. Uh we we didn't miss them and um Excuse me, after dabbling in um, crime, he made sex films uh, to keep working also and probably to keep food on the table and probably yeah. very profitable at some point in time.
1: They all did it at one point there in the late 70s, maybe in early 80s. So I, uh, yeah. I, I
0: always thought, so I still say Blood of the Virgin, Singly the Virgin. This is one of my favorites of his for the reasons I mentioned.
3: Yeah. And then,
0: uh, the curious dr hump is probably your favorite of this uh
1: no actually uh the one that's with oh, it, the, no, no, uh, the the organ organ. It yeah yeah but it's same gun. disc so <laughs> anybody that goes out there looking for it it's, it's on the same disc um so now we're going to get to the original topic of the show which is uh coffin joe uh really known as joe uh, cachao or joseph the grave uh, also known in his real life as Jose Mojica Marines. Um, the thing about him is there's a lot of blurring. Uh, you get that sometimes with crazy people uh, where they kind of see, like, you know, the fans basically. Oh, yeah, you know, I've seen you in this movie, so that's how you really are, and it has nothing to do with a person that's in real life. But mm. what happened with Marines is he kind of – uh, like we'll get to when we do the Mexican wrestler show, uh, like El Santo, and you know, he his ears and his nose were all deformed because he could never take his friggin' mask off because you know there was always kids hanging around the house or whatever, and he could never be seen in public without the mask, so he was always El Santo. Kind of the same thing here, uh, you know. He didn't have to be coughing jail twenty four seven, but he was achieving notoriety for it. Uh, he certainly got a lot of trouble with the government, which we'll get to. Uh and there were things like, you know, eventually they were making comic books and Fumetis and uh mm. who knows what the hell else. So basically he was a if not, you know, rich, he was certainly a well, well known, you know, boogeyman, if you will, in Brazil. Um and to some extent other areas of South America that were familiar with uh, or could read or hear, understand the Brazilian of the films and the, the comics and whatever Portuguese, whatever else. right. Yeah. Yes, Portuguese, right. Um, so basically... He carried this through his life. I mean, so to this day, people walk up to him and think, "Oh yeah, it's Coffin Joe. He's going to go and recite some kind of uh, Nietzschean diatribe against God, and maybe he's looking for his perfect mate or whatever the hell." It's almost like when they had those contests back in the '60s. We were laughing about talking about the uh, Dan Curtis show a couple of weeks back. Oh, uh, you know, you can marry Barnabas, and they dug up all these weirdos like these goth girls and stuff that like thought they were going to marry Barnabas because I'm like the evil vampire witch or some shit you know, of course he's some gay guy, he's nothing like this. You know, it's just a stupid role he's playing and getting a laugh out of it. You know, uh but you know, these people are actually like, Oh yes, this is real, you he's really Barnabas and I'm really gonna marry him and whatever. So that's the kind of crowd that uh Marines tends to attract, especially in his home country. Uh but, you know, it was part of uh the image and it's part of what made him the famous uh monster, if you will, national monster that he was. Uh, When I spoke to Mike Vraney from something weird uh, back before he passed, uh, he had said to me... And it's sort of, you can make correlations because in this country, nobody really knew who the fuck Coffin Show was until there's something weird VHS started coming out in the early 90s uh, and sort of popularized his films. Like all of a sudden, there's a wide audience. People going up to like Tower Video or something like that all the time. Uh, All of a sudden, it's like, what the hell is this? Oh, okay, that's interesting. Uh, And then later, the DVDs and whatever else um, from them and from other companies. so he said that in an interview, that he was introduced to him at some point, and it's like, oh, yeah, this is, you know, Jose, whatever, and, you know, we we're trying to figure out a way to market him for a more international audience, uh, and it's like, well, what's this, you know, Jay Gokashow thing? I was like, Joseph Graves. like, eh, I don't know, that's not so great. Like, how about Coffin Joe? And like, oh, that's great. So then, you know, of course, he becomes Coffin Joe, and that's how he was marketed. You know, whether this is just Ballyhoo or not, who knows? You know, Mike was he hung with people like um Harry Novak and David Friedman and things like that, Herschel, uh, who I also interviewed Herschel Gordon Lewis. Um, you know, these guys were effectively the carnies of their time. A lot of it is chest dumping, a lot of it is hype. You know, there's a lot of truth in there, but you kind of gotta have a little bit of grain of salt. You know, how much is true, how much is like well, okay, maybe just you know, do a little chest dumping here. Uh but That is what I was told by him, and considering the timing and considering the fact that effectively, at least in the U.S., the popularization of Coffin Joe came through something weird, I'm inclined to believe it. Uh, So therefore, I don't care if anybody else says it or not. Maybe it will be disproved. I don't know. But that's what he told me, and that's kind of the way it looks to me, uh, that he's the guy that redubbed him Coffin Joe, for for better or worse. Um, I I don't mean –
0: You know, I don't remember. I asked him that. I interviewed Aaron's... 96, 97, 98, here. Mike Brady brought him to the U.S. And I did not... I don't always interview people at conventions. I want this to be a (laughs) no-fucking fact. I actually work hard at this sometimes. I actually was in uh, the Upper East Side. Uh, Marins was staying with the guy. It was hot summer. And I actually interviewed him for like three bloody hours. And uh, it was an incredible interview. Uh, nobody wanted it. This is the other thing, too. You know, um, he was still, even these movies came out in VHS, it was still the early period. Still becoming known to people, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and yep. you know, I'm like, I got this great cough and chill for an interview with, like, Oh, but he wanted And then it was years later when someone expressed interest and said, you you really want this? I did this, this 10 years ago, you know. That kind of yeah. just didn't happen. I did ask him something along those lines, but I don't want to give out misinformation. I just don't have that interview. Transcribe it. I don't want to misquote him or myself. So I know he asked him that, and I know he answered it.
1: There are a lot of things I do remember. So anyway, uh, Marines was – he actually lived over – and this is kind of strange because on one hand, I understand his family were farmers of some sort. But at the same time, his father also owned a local cinema. Now, we're talking about poor – I don't know uh, how many of you are Italian or know about Italy back in the 50s and 60s and such, uh, but – the theater was different than it is for us in America. It was more of people would go there to socialize and bullshit and meet their friends and you know hang out for a little bit and whatever because it was it was cheap and it kind of ran all day with the fixtures and uh it was more of a hangout for – and not necessarily the impoverished classes, but it was kind of more of like a working-class thing. It wasn't like, oh, yes, let's go to the opera. Let's all go to the cinema. No, no. It was like, yeah, let's go see – I'm going to go meet uh, – what's your face down there at the – whatever it is, the Rialto or something to go. And and they might be playing a Bardot picture, and they might be playing a Franco and or they might be playing a, a crime picture, You know, whatever. You know, we'll, we'll just stand there with bullshit. Maybe we'll watch some of the film. Maybe I'll meet some girls there, whatever that's kind of what it was like so i am mm-hmm. picturing the sort of theater we're talking here as being you know when it's sort of rural uh working class uh you know okay yeah the guy's running a farm as well so you kind of know the area we're talking about here it's like you know being out in iowa or something north dakota and the locals would come in and see whatever you know picture he had that week uh maybe second run that kind of a thing um but, because of this, obviously uh Jose grew up, you know watching films, knowing films, and enjoying them and I don't know what drove him other than that inner whatever, but I know that I had seen interviews with him, and he talked a lot about having to work from and you could tell with the films themselves, especially the early ones, work from scraps, like he would go around and i don't know beg, borrow steal, buy whatever. Uh, pieces of expired film from other people's productions where, you know, you get a reel, whatever it was, you know, 10 feet of film or whatever it was that would run for, you know, who knows five minutes. And they would put that load that in the camera and then it would run out. And a lot of times they would have parts of the film that they didn't use or that weren't exposed or whatever. And they mm-hmm. would cut those ends off and sell them at a dirt cheap price. Cause they're kind of worthless in a way uh to you know use aspiring filmmakers, uh people going to film school, whatever. Anybody that would come up to them with a couple of bucks saying, hey, you know, can I have some of those. Oh yeah, sure, you know. And you would get film stock that was because it was expired, it was already starting to like an old Polaroid, you know, it was starting to turn green or whatever the hell. Uh you would have a lot of loose ends and you'd have to do a lot of splicing to put these things together and make it work for you. Uh that sort of a thing. So by the time he started making films, they were pretty freaking rough and ready, and you can see that, especially in the early product like, you know, uh, what was it? Uh, At midnight, I'll take your soul, and this night I'll possess your corpse. So the, those early Coffin Joe films are like, you see the splices, you see the scratches, you see the. The film changing color, you know, even though they're basically black and white, you see like the sepia tones and things coming in and out. And one, one couple of minutes are super bright, and then they're dark. And then uh, he starts putting in special effects, if you want to call it that. And you know, he doesn't have money to do with special effects. He doesn't have a crew, so if he does have a crew, it's like one person around the camera or something. He's basically directing while he's acting and doing whatever else. And he, he started like scratching on the emulsion, the kind of things like. I had a friend uh, – actually, I still have a friend who i talk talked to him once in a while uh, – who did just for the hell of it. Uh, he had a movie camera back in the 70s, and he showed me some of his student films. Yeah, a lot of them are just self-indulging, you know, kids kind of screwing around, whatever. But some of them are pretty damn funny and kind of cute. And he showed me some where you see, like, oh, yeah, I like this hair. I put the lightning bolts coming in out of his fingers or whatever, and that's what it was. It's like he's actually going in there frame by frame and scratching in on the emulsion, these little effects. Coffin Joe did that stuff. Um, And he put these things together for, you know, basically this this audience, the same kind of public that was going to see his, uh, his father's films, Uh, not that his father made films, but you know, the things that were being shown in that theater. Um, And I think they were blown up too from maybe, Mm -hmm. they weren't like 35 millimeter necessarily. I think they might've been 16 millimeter. Uh, Mm -hmm. So again, very rough and ready with this crap. Um, is there anything you wanted to get to before we started diving into the films themselves?
0: Well, yeah, I, I remember when I, when I talked to him, I asked him about, of course, Satanism and dark arts and a bunch of other things and the church. Right. And, you know, the guy was zigzagging in three hours. He said <laughs> blasphemous things about the church. But then also said very embracing things. Yes. So I, I think I think he's and, and there's shows in the movies, which we'll discuss. He he's torn. He's torn. I think it, well, it's a patriarchal society and uh, very poor society, mm-hmm. and uh, the government was fucking with the people for a long time, almost like in France, where we discussed recently.
3: The yep. G-
0: G- Franco, not France. Sorry, Spain. 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 And. Spain. And so, uh, it's, you know, Marin's movies are heretical at the least. You know, oh, I yeah. have to say <laughs> And yet, he he said to me many incredibly damning things about the, the church in Brazil.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: yet, and yet he felt in later years they sort of made up. If one can yeah. say that, um, but then after after we had spoke, he made the embodiment of evil. The last, the last the oh, that's unbelievable. Picture, yeah, uh. which is like totally goes against any
1: known law of sense. You're but exactly then, right. Just to jump in there, because I do get that impression of Cuff and Joe films, and that's what I like about them. He is mm-hmm. not. Uh, atheistic, you know, theistic Satanist, that sort of thing where it's just like, I'm going to blaspheme because, you know, fuck God and whatever, and I don't care. Right. And this is where we're all nihilistic. We're all going to go to hell, and it's like a Nietzschean world, and, you know, you're all just do for the ovens because you're all pieces of the shit, and we're not worth being alive. You know, it, it really gets nihilistic when you get into a lot of that stuff, especially the, the darker end of things. Um, whereas Coffin Joe was more of. Like a Marquis de Sade, honestly, where he was yeah. deliberately provoking the powers that be the church, God, whatever you name it, family mores, yeah. uh he was shoving his finger in it, saying, "Fuck you guys, yeah, how about this you know like it 's almost like he pulls his dick out in a crowded room and says, "Hey,, how about this?" and waggles it around uh, just to see the reactions and the, you know get people pissed off or whatever uh, but nonetheless there 's elements to which. He's doing this because he's pissed off about what is wrong about X, Y, and Z, what's wrong about the church, what's wrong about the public mores, what's wrong about his family, what's wrong about his culture. Not, okay, uh-huh. screw you guys. I don't need you. I'm going to go off on my own little island and you know let you all burn. I could care less. There's a very big difference there. He actually is invested. It's like he cares enough to hate, not I don't give a shit and I'm totally indifferent, which is the complete opposite. Of no, the he care. cares enough to hate,
0: yeah. Which, exactly, unfortunately, right. I think was his undoing at some point, because you mentioned a little while ago, you know, he was his own... He became called Joe. Yeah. And, and, and for better or worse... No, I'm sure he adopted some of the fictional characters' outlooks, maybe. Oh, yeah.
1: probably was not good for him as a human being, you know what I'm saying? Well, that's why we get a really interesting film later in his career that's actually my favorite, and which never came out on a, quote, real DVD, which somebody should look into that. It's actually out on a DVD or from something weird, or at least it was at one point. Um which is Black Exorcism, Exorcism on Negro, or otherwise known as The Bloody Exorcism of Coffin Joe. Uh, but we'll get to that soon. Uh, basically, his first film is the one that he's really known for. In a lot of ways, it's his best film. Uh, I like the one I just mentioned a lot, but uh, this one nonetheless. Basically, it introduces the Coffin Joe fig- uh, character. Uh, it started back in, I think, 1963, uh, so it's pretty early on, especially for the, where he goes with it. Uh, basically, this guy is an undertaker. He's not like superhuman. He's not whatever. He's not some genius. He's just some fucking undertaker in town. But he has heretical views. So he does stuff, which actually is my favorite scene of the movie, and I always talk about it. My wife's like, why do you like this guy? Because she's totally disgusted by you know the excesses, places he goes with his films. Uh, and yet, he says, Well what do you like about this guy? I says, Because he's giving everybody the bird. He's telling these uptight friggin' assholes that take cruises of the world, Go fuck yourself, buddy. So when they have their Lenten procession, they're doing almost like um what do they call that down in Mexico? Where they have the guys that walk around and they pretend they're Christ getting crucified or whatever. And they you know they actually do it the penitentes. Uh that kind of a okay. thing. So, they had this big procession in Brazil with all the priests and whatever, and people carrying a cross down the road, and people praying and whatever, and they're all going to church or whatever, and you know it's Lent. And he's sitting there eating a, <laughs> a big ass leg of lamb right in front of the window and laughing at them as they stand there and cross themselves and tell me it's going to go to hell or I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. Here, you want some? <laughs> you know, I got some more lamb. And it's hilarious because I used to do that stuff back when I was younger, not even deliberately. I remember my father coming home a lot of times being horrified because it was Lent, and there I am on a, a Friday night eating leftover steak. I'm like, what? <laughs> or sausage. Like, I don't care. Whatever. But you know, there are people that are really superstitious and really uptight about this stuff, and he was just like, oh, come on. Grow up. Fuck you. <laughs> and I love that about Coffin Joe, and I also love where he goes later. Uh, so basically this guy is uh, an undertaker in town. And he's got some weird ideas on top of everything else. Uh, he's actually looking for the perfect meat to carry on his lineage or whatever. And the problem is he's got know. a devoted wife basically, and this is the one part that disturbs me. He's got this girl who like, loves him.
2: She's not like the
1: most pretty girl in the world, but she's not horrible, and she totally adores the guy. She does everything for him, you know, cooks, cleans, fucks him, You know, whatever he wants to do. Uh, and yet, this isn't good enough for him because she can't have a kid, and this is his big thing. He's got to have, he's got to carry on his lineage. So, what does he do? He ends up lusting after this one girl. I don't know if it was like his friend, maybe his best friend's girlfriend or something, because uh, somehow they yeah, were really they're so. intertwined. Uh, and he decides that he wants to fuck her, and he's got She's going to be the perfect mate for him. So. He comes on to her and she's like, obviously resisting. Uh, He ends up deciding to kill his wife, who's like, like I said, totally devoted to him. This is a woman that, you know, he says, hey, you want to do something kinky? And I, oh, yeah, sure. Whatever you want. Let's try it. And he's like, okay, you're not good enough for me because you can't give me a fucking kid. Really? So that bothered me from day one. But anyway, uh, he goes and kills her off and goes after this other one. In the meantime, of course, she's resisting. Accounts people are doing stuff. He's showing what a bastard he is. I know there's one scene at a local bar. That's well, down at he kills minute. a friend, too. Yes. Well, that's what I was going to get to. He, he fights with oh, one guy. He goes and takes a, breaks a beer bottle because he said something about it, like, oh, yeah, whatever. And he he challenged him, basically. So he breaks a beer bottle, sticks it in, and cuts his friggin' eye out or his finger off or whatever, and sits back and laughs, challenges everybody in the room to do anything to him nobody wants to. So he leaves. He's all drunk. He goes over. He kills his friend, the guy we're just talking about, so that he can screw his girlfriend, who still doesn't want him. Uh, He forces himself on her. So he like rapes her. So again, this is really, really not just transgressive, but distasteful. I mean, it's totally wrong in a lot of respects. Um, And what she says is, you know fuck you, he's like, I'm going to go and kill myself and come back and like basically drag you by myself right down to hell with me. And he's like, yeah, okay, whatever, do what you want to do. Sure enough, though, because he killed his his uh, wife and his best friend, which is his, her uh, boyfriend, she hangs herself, right? But he's expecting the usual kind of thing, like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to incriminate you as my killer or whatever. No, he shouldn't do that. So I'm like, okay, well, that's weird. So he's going around still like, you know, okay, I'll gotta find a perfect mate somewhere else then. Okay. Yeah, and then mysteriously he goes out one night, first he goes to a church and he starts blaspheming against God. And I love that scene. He's there spouting some cross between Nietzsche, Saad, and Anton LaVey, Uh and it's all rational. It makes total fucking sense what he's saying. You may agree with him, you may disagree with him, but it's like Okay, I can see why you're there. I can hear that and to some extent yeah, I'm there too uh, basically cussing out society uh, you know cussing out God cussing out everything that's considered proper and right and saying no this isn't the way it is why is it like this fuck you you know it, so it's it becomes this deep, philosophical thing that you know the speech itself you have to watch it to like you trust me you'll be sitting back you'll either be horrified because you know, you're you're religious and you're horrified by the fact that he's blaspheming and transgressing or you're going to sit there going yeah okay i hear that <laughs> and then you'll start loving coffin joe uh despite all the things that he did that were horrible in the meantime um and what happens after this is he goes out to a graveyard And it's like a whatever eerie night or some shit, and he's getting followed through the fog, and he ends up having this, I guess, hallucination, who knows, where he gets dragged into uh, a coffin, basically, by the dead people that he killed, whatever, and that's the end of the film. So uh, the next film, I don't know if you want to just go because they're kind of close together, or if you want to jump in there, it's your call. Uh, No, no, They are close uh,
0: together.
1: They have a similarity, yeah. The next film, he actually is still alive, but he's got, you know, whatever. I forget whether he was in the hospital or he was blind or something was wrong with him. Uh, But basically, he ends up getting his health back at some point. And what's going on is the only part I really remember. First off, he starts – now this is where people remember him from with the sadistic whatever. Okay, he wasn't sadistic enough in the first film. Now he's actively looking for who's going to be my perfect bride. And so therefore he's got to test them all. This is where it really gets distasteful. This is where, you know, especially women are like, oh my God, what the fuck are you watching? <laughs> um, he starts doing things like, and apparently, which made this really kind of creepy and interesting, is he really did this to the actresses and would film their reactions. It's okay, let, here we go. We're going to make this real enough that you're going to be freaked out on camera so I can get the reaction I want so he's doing things like putting them in a room full of spiders and have them crawl all over them while they're tied up uh you know and it's like on one hand it's like well okay I, you probably seen worse at this point in history but this is like 1963 1964 uh, it, it's really freaking intense for that period and it's distasteful and it's you know knowing that these actors are really having the reaction just seeing on screen is like oh really come on uh but you know, On the other hand, it's it's fascinating, you know, the filmmaking respect, and it says a lot about how far this guy was willing to go to do his vision, basically. And basically at the end of all this thing, uh, he ends up, of course, not finding his perfect mate. There's so all these girls that he kills and tortures and whatever, uh, and actually gets dragged off to hell. Uh, so there's this – I forget. Was this the one that had the color sequence or was that later? There's one that had a color sequence where he was in hell. Oh, I think it's in this movie. Was it? Okay. I think it might have been this movie. So it gets really surreal, kind of like those of you who are familiar with Japanese horror, uh, Jigoku from 1960, where they have that whole sequence where they're in Buddhist hell. Uh, It's like that, very dayglow and crazy and sort of uh, Hieronymus Bosch-like, but even more intense. Um, And once again, of course, he's in hell, so that's the end of the film. Uh, And we don't see Coffin Joe per se again for quite some time. Uh, He'll come back in different respects. So that's basically it on these two films. Me personally, the second film is nice as certain sequences were like that one I just mentioned, uh, just for the visual sense of it. Uh, it's not as even though it's the same idea, and they've got this evil gypsy woman, and whatever. Um, the first one is much more my taste, and I really do enjoy uh, his thumbing his nose at society and the world, and whatever else. And his speech in the church is really uh, a love him or hate him moment, and it made me love him. So, uh, there you go, your turn. Um, well, I
0: mean, no, you. Mentioned a lot of interesting things. Um, <sighs> thing is, these movies are creepy as fucking hell. They're oh yeah, they're weird. They're they're creepy. They're
1: um, it's not it's, what you expect for nineteen sixty three.
0: Yeah, yes, exactly. For for, for 1963, 64, 65 uh, where these you know, it's it's shocking. And so it's funny when you're watching it now, even though all the stuff we've seen and know about now it's still shocking <laughs> because you're you're watching something that <clears throat> first of all, you have unbridled imagination, gone fucking sorrow, almost <laughs> like it's almost like uh, I don't think I asked this of him, but it's almost like he just dropped an overload of acid, you know? Yeah, yeah. I just looked too deep into the darkness and came up with the story and then tried to
1: translate that into cinema. Um, you made a great, great point. Hold your thought for a second because yeah. that actually ties into what I was saying before about his speeches being very Nietzschean and a character being very Nietzschean yeah. because he, most likely if he did do that and he does get into acid later on, we'll talk about that eventually. Uh, you know, once again, it's like Nietzsche, uh, you gaze too long into the abyss, the abyss gazes back into you. So there you go. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah.
2: Very,
0: very, very, very dark, very creepy as fuck. I said that before. Um, the movies are unsettling. Um, they're far from, you know, they are what they are, but they're also, I I hope you would agree, they're far from entertainment. They, they're they certainly historical value documents, but they're not entertaining. They're, oh, they're no, they're not party films. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> you're not party girlfriend. <laughs> no, you won't have one after
2: that.
0: Um, uh, they're just strange pieces of art from uh and, and you know and and if and if somebody like Mike Brinney did not bring these to the English speaking world, um we might have known about these uh, in time um, i i who's to say you know we, we have gotten chance more exposure to the rest of this stuff? Like the next one, which is a funny thing, you know, a lot of documents uh, online claim uh, there's only so many Coffin Joe movies, but he's almost he play he he appears as Coffin Joe in quite a few movies, like the Straight yeah. World of Coffin Joe.
1: That's it, right? So technically, this is not a Coffin Joe film. Uh, basically, right. it's a three uh, what do we call it? like a portmanteau, kind of like those Amicus films that Ethnology. we talked about back when. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And some of the films are odd and work like *The Doll Maker*, which is something about this old man and these guys. I forget why they were trying to break into his place. I guess they thought he was rich or had diamonds hidden in his dolls or some crap. Uh, he was some old blind guy making dolls, and these three thugs go and decide, for whatever reason, that they're going to break into his place and try to find whatever riches he had. Cause, oh, you must have old man. And it turns out that his whole shtick was carving out people's eyes that tried to rob him and putting him in his dolls. And that's what it's so lifelike. It's actually kind of like Lovecraft with a terrible old man, uh, that sort of Mm -hmm. a thing. Uh, So, you know, it's a creepy little story. It says really nothing much. Uh, There was another one that was just kind of gross. Uh, It borders on like uh, your boot territory uh, called Mm -hmm. Obsession. Uh, and as as you can imagine from the first one I just mentioned, uh, there's some necrophilia involved, and it's just okay, yes, it's the sixties, so it's not really shown that much, but it's distasteful uh it's It's not one that I enjoyed or ever really wanted to watch. I'm like, okay, I've never seen that part again <laughs> fast forward uh but you know when it came to the last part, again, you get to the coffin Joe satanic um very levian satanic in a lot of respects, uh, this thing called theory, ideology. And basically these people, he's a professor or whatever the hell, or he's on the air uh, on a talk show and he's expounding this theory, basically saying that as opposed to like an aspirational thing where it's like, uh, you know, Kind of like I try to look at people in the world where, uh, you know, we're all kind of butterflies and we're in various stages of larval development, and eventually we can all become, you know, like Dale like said, you're all stars, uh, or, you know, I'm misquoting him in this respect, but, you know, Crowley with uh, every man and woman is a star, uh, that sort of a thing, like we can be something better, we can be Stardust, we can be golden, uh, you know, quoting Woodstock there. Um Yet he's saying the exact opposite. he's saying that, like I mentioned earlier, like I hinted at, uh you know, we're just flesh bags that are kind of worthless meat, and what's inside it isn't worth pissing on. uh we're all here for no reason, going nowhere, and we aren't worth the sand you know the uh, the flesh that we're uh, built on, I guess um so basically that's his. Theory That people can be uh, shoved down to their lowest basis, most atavistic natures, uh, no matter how highfalutin or how uh, religious or moral they may think they are. And these other folks, I think they were actually on a talk show with them, saying, no, no, you're crazy, because you know, they're more of the other side. And they're more like, oh, no, no, people are better than that. You know, we, we would never do anything like that. You know, uh, humanity is worth more than you're making it. You're making it. It's like we're just animals. And what he does is he invites them over to his place afterwards. Like, okay, well, we have a nice chat, let's have some dinner, whatever. And he takes them down to the basement and locks them in a fucking cage and subjects them sort of saw style, I guess, to prove his theory. And of course, even though that they are a married couple and they love each other and whatever the hell else. He is proved right, and things get really kind of ugly. It's disturbing as shit. It's depressing as shit. It goes beyond being Hobbesian or Nietzschean to being, like I said, directly satanic in the worst sense. Uh, But – um, you've you got to admit that there's some level of truth there because just like I think on the one side, people are capable of so much what people do every day. I mean, look at the current election. Look who we've got to choose from at this moment. Uh, we always kind of go to our basis nature. We always go for the worst possible option. You know, We've got so many options out there. We could choose the best. We don't even choose the middle. We go for the worst. Uh, so he's saying that. I don't like the message, but I can understand it, and I can kind of nod my head like, yeah, unfortunately, that's how people are. I mean, not to the extent that he takes it. He really goes overboard. He's really kind of provoking. Uh, But it's an interesting film nonetheless, and certainly of the three episodes in it, this is the one that uh, Coffin Jill fans would go for. The other two are kind of throwaways. So how about you on this one?
0: No, no. I I, I think covered what we can about that picture. I think things go to the extreme with The Awakening of the Beast, his next movie.
1: Yes. Well, actually, he was involved with one the Trilogy of Terror that was actually three different directors down there, and he had done one segment oh, in yeah. there. I forget which one. I think he actually did the one called Cobb Nightmare with uh, some guys worried about being buried alive, with and like, you know, he's scared of like reptiles and shit like that. And uh, He actually does end up getting buried I didn't like it. It was like, yeah, whatever. It wasn't up to his standards. Let's put it that way. Uh, As low as some people may think his standards are, it was not up to his standards. Uh, So Awakening of the Beast, this is the one I was talking about before when I said about LSD. This is a strange friggin' film. And for some reason yeah. when they put out that coming coffin from Joe you, box... that says a lot. <laughs> <laughs> when they put out that coffin Joe box set many years ago, I was disappointed that they chose to put this one in as opposed to uh the film we just mentioned, for example, or definitely uh Bloody Exorcism and Coffin Joe. Those should have been in it should not. This one should have fallen to obscurity. Basically, it's a thing making fun of hippies, uh, and the fact that they use a lot of drugs. Uh, and his whole thing is that he is, again, he's like some kind of professor on TV or something. He says, oh, you know, all these hippies there, the reason that they're so free love and all this crap is because they're doing a lot of drugs. Uh, so he starts trying to screw with them. And at one point, I don't remember. There's a lot of orgies and a lot of some of them turn ugly, and you know there's like rapes involved. Like what kind of hippies are these? <laughs> but uh, at one point, it turns into a thing where he introduces them to imagery of coffin jail. I think it's a poster, but then he starts talking nice. about coffin jail or showing up clips from other films or whatever. And all clips of a sudden, because they're, clips. Yeah. they're doing LSD, so they have a bad trip. And this is where – and I think this is why they put it on the set because they figured, well, it's got some arresting imagery in it, but it's really not a good film at all. Uh, so you get a color sequence in here that really gets trippy. I mean uh, I know at one point he has like asses that talk. you know, They've got faces drawn on people's asses, and they gotta like, open and close. I don't know. I did not like this film at all. I did not get why they bothered putting this in that box set. And the fact that they skipped over better films to put it in there was really fucking annoying as shit. Uh, so, *Phantom* fuck you guys for that one. But uh, you know, nonetheless, thank you for the other two films. But well, fuck you on this one. Uh, so, what do you want to say about this one? Because I really just hated this film. And uh, we will say one thing: oh, no, uh, it was banned. Very, very, it was banned for years by the government because of the drug thing. So it actually came out like yeah. seven years later or something. So, but go ahead.
0: No, it's very bleak. It's very dystopian. Um, it's got a cool as hell poster. And, 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 and uh, a note to make is that uh, I'm not sure who designed his posters, the distributor, or he had a hand in it. But man, if anybody has any Call from Joe posters or the originals from Brazil, man, you got some cool shit. Because these posters are outrageous. For all his movies, the original artwork, really?
2: Yeah.
0: Crazy. Crazy
1: stuff. It's pretty
0: um, trippy. It it's not tripped. like
1: the Art Deco thing of like the Roland posters of the time, but it it's pretty screwed yeah. up. Huh? Uh-huh. So after this, he decides to drop the Coffin Joe character for a while. And he came up with another character that I guess he thought was going to be a little bit more of a light side, if you will. Because they feel like comedies in a way. But again, he's still very nihilistic because... The character is Finis Hominis, otherwise known as the End of Man, uh, if you translate from the Latin, and. Basically, this guy is a guru, and he goes around through the local village and essentially acting like Jesus. You know, He's like supposedly curing people, but he's not really curing people. And he's like leading them on and doing all these guru things, and everybody treats him like he's the second coming of Christ or whatever. And it turns out at the end of the film that he's a nutcase, and they kind of lead him back into the crazy house. Uh, and that's really it. And he does it again for another film later on called uh, When the Gods Fall Asleep. Um or yeah, this the other film is in Portuguese the title. Um there's really no difference between the two. I like the first one a little bit more than the second one, but I really both of them kinda sucked.
3: Um you know, I guess <laughs> it's,
1: maybe it's like a hippie thing, you know, okay, let's do uh, He So Jesus Christ Superstar or something. I figured let's uh let's let's screw around and mock the gospel kind of story or something. I don't know. It was just lame. It, it wasn't like, oh, look, here's another thumb in the nose against, you know, repression and religion and uptight people like Coffin' Joe was. This is just stupid. Uh, so I really, the the, the fitness hominist films are just kind of worthless to me. So w- what's your take on those two?
0: Well, they're, they're of, they're, they're, he probably, I got the feeling he saw he saw a number of movies that influenced him maybe uh, he thought he should go in another direction. Um Incorporating a little bit of his own twisted freaking mindset. <laughs> um what's so, uh Glenn and Randa. Glenn and Randa, the apocalyptic film, which is not exactly what you think it is. That's that's. I I see elements of Glenn and Randa in here. I've seen uh, 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 other things, and I think that. I think that, that Marin's well, well aware of the kind of movies he was making because he wanted to make them and he made them his way, but I think box office was probably pretty much dire on these things. They were not hits, You know? Yeah. It's uh, often show movies and, and he wanted to remain a filmmaker, so I think he wanted to incorporate some of his own twisted fucking logic and maybe come up with something a little less severe and he came up with this because I, I believe he saw these other kind of movies. And he uh, he uh ended up just making something as strange as <laughs> as could be. <laughs> I mean they're not coughing Joe, no, they're not coughing Joe uh, no not at all. Torture porn before the days of torture porn, but uh he's still uh, a bit of a bastard, you know? You know and and uh we actually don't see this, the Marin's character on camera becoming slightly sympathetic for some time to come. But the, this is definitely—you almost want to, you almost want to like talk to Coffin Joe rather than talk to uh, Finnis Hannabus, the character he's playing, <laughs> the, the mysterious man. You know, this guy's really nihilistic. He's just totally nothing. No?
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, so then he goes on, and there's a. Let's see, was there a break after that? No, it's only a couple of years. So he does the uh, Bloody Exorcism of Coffin Jail, like I mentioned before, Exorcismo Negro. Now, honestly, I love the first Coffin Jail film, so it's really kind of a toss up. But if you ask me what's my favorite Coffin Jail film just on the fly, this is the one I'll say every time Exorcismo Negro. I love this friggin' film. Basically. This is Marin's coming to terms with the uh, – out of control, by his own admission, uh, in some respects, in popularity You know, in the, in the mass sense. Like everybody thinks of him as Coffin Joe and how much this character is blown up he, despite how rotten he is and how evil he can be and all the things he does wrong. And yet on the other hand – and this is the more important part – How much he is Coffin Joe, how much the character has become him from something that was just kind of in his head and an idea that he wanted to express to how much he has become it. So again, we're getting back to that Nietzsche, and how much have I become the abyss that I was gazing into? Uh, And yes, there are slight, not necessarily exorcists, but elements of that uh, because basically it's set over Christmas, another thing I like about it. Uh, which is also ironic, by the way. Uh, so they have this little chintzy Christmas tree up, and he's there, and, I, and it's Martins himself. He's playing himself. I am Jose Mónica in this film. Uh, and he's sitting there with a pipe and a sweater vest. He's kind of like a, a balding Brazilian Mr. Rogers, right? He's got an Argyle sweater vest. Uh, and he's mm-hmm. sitting there, you know, giving out presents to his little nieces, and they're all getting ready to have Christmas dinner or whatever the hell else. And all of a sudden, strange things start to happen around the house. And, you know, there's like poltergeist phenomenon, and uh, there's – somebody gets possessed. Eventually, it starts going like a round-robin possession. Like, oh, wait, the kid's got – oh, wait, no, it's the brother. And you know, people start trying to kill him, and they start talking in weird voices. And, you know, all kinds of weird shit goes down, and, and eventually it turns out that it is uh, – oh, and, and there's a satanic mass that happens in the middle of the damn thing. Um it really gets crazy and the imagery gets crazier, but the basic idea is uh, Marin struggling with how much is he really coughing, how much is this you know would-be filmic character that he thought he was just kind of putting out there and forgetting about has become real, not only to people around him, but to himself, how much it has become him, how much he has become the character, uh, and at the end... Basically, I hate to say that they give you a happy ending because it's not really. Uh, You know, they do the whole thing kind of like uh, I hate to say it's a wonderful life, but that sort of thing. Like they start singing Christmas carols or whatever the hell. But he walks out the door and then there's a laugh, you know, like a Coffin Joe laugh. So it's like, well, yeah, he is marked by this for life. And there's a lot of psychological truth, and there's a lot of existential truth in this. There's a lot of philosophical truth in this. Just like the first film, but even more so. Really, really underrated, excellent film. The fact that, you know, that piece of shit that we talked about with the
3: LSD came out,
1: and this did not, is disgraceful. And somebody really needs to get on it. Uh, it's a really good film. And, you know, I, it took us something where D V dvd I don't know if you can get it anymore. They might have lost the rights over the years. Uh, but... You know the print on that is not that great, even by Coffin Joe standards. So uh, somebody really needs to get on the stick and put this one out. It's, it's definitely his best film. So, go ahead. What's your what's your take on this? Um,
0: well, best or worst? It's a it's a. <laughs>
1: well, yeah, I could see people saying it's the worst, <laughs> just because of how no, cheesy no. it is in a lot of ways.
0: No, no, I'm not calling it the worst or the best. I, I, I I'm saying what I what I mean to say is. Best or worse, like everything is cinema, it's the eye of the beholder. Yeah. Um, I think it's an interesting movie for him, um because, you know, yeah, they're doing comic books based on Coffin Joe all of a sudden. So there's success that way, but I don't think there's financial success for him. Right. And I think I think as a media celebrity, yes. But see unlike America where me- media celebrities are rich you know, Um for most part, um, back there in Brazil, you know, he was just walking around this conference from Joe. He's probably doing interviews. He's probably doing not just appearances. I think he was doing maybe something. maybe maybe in these early years he started to do the talk show and. and yeah, but he's not making money, and so I think I think dear a lot of these these things carry over. Like he tried that Finnis hominis series; those two pictures. I think he tried to get away from coffin Joe there, mm-hmm. and you know, as as we just spoke about, you you just liked it a lot more than I did, but I didn't like it either. But. Uh, I, I I think he just returned to this maybe with a vengeance. It's a very good movie, though. But yeah, I've never seen a really good print of this. And I don't know why, unless the original elements are fucked up.
1: Yeah, it's possible too, especially at this remove of time. But nonetheless, it's something that should have been addressed, you know, to the extent that it can still be. Uh, somebody should really get on it because it's definitely, uh, I think it's his best film. It's definitely the one that says the most uh, about
0: you know everything, probably, about human I,
1: condition, if you will. Yeah, yeah, but I find that next one even strange, too. Well, the next one, if I think this is one you're talking about, is one that he actually wrote and co-directed, but apparently, I don't know, maybe he was too busy, maybe he didn't care, he let some other guy direct a lot of it, uh, which was The Strange Hostel of Naked Pleasures. Um, Great title. I like this <laughs> film. I really do. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a devil's nightmare, but even more atmospheric, if you can picture that. I mean, not with the old castle. But this is more of like a uh of the damn done right, I guess um it's this dusty old town, and I forget maybe it was raining or something like wind blowing i don't know what the deal was, but these people roll in and end up staying at this you know last chance uh saloon sort of house, you know which is an inn, and as they go through the evening with whatever uh it ends up that oh by the way uh what's going on outside oh we're dead <laughs> and they show you how they had died the night before and that's why they wound up in this place uh you know it's a typical horror film trope uh it's certainly not one of his uh, more deep and meaningful films but it's mm. visual it's aesthetic and it's enjoyable and certainly Even if you are trying to show something to your girlfriend and you want to show a *Coffin Joe film and you don't have access to bloody exorcism, which is just great all around. uh, You know, it's a decent one to show somebody like, okay, this is a Jose Mojica Barron's film and it's not that bad. Uh, You might enjoy this uh, just as like a horror fan or whatever. Uh, Definitely. This is it it would fit into that for sure. Uh, I like it more for the atmosphere than anything else. Uh, But what did you want to say about this one? Uh, yeah, uh, cool title
0: aside. Um, This
1: is probably the safe
0: Marin's movie. <laughs> as yes, exactly, like that. that's what I'm trying to get at. <laughs> it's
1: yeah.
0: safe. This is this is the safe Marin's movie to show not only your wife, girlfriend, lover, but friends, too. Because, you know, you're always going to run across people like, I never seen one of those. Can I see one of those? Do you have it in your collection? Yeah, sit down a little, Tom. And then you wind up scarring them for life to go out and they kill somebody's cat. So you don't want that to happen. Right. So you show them something safe like this. <laughs> you like the health of eh? <laughs> So I, I I I run across people like Tommy every so often in my life. It's very scary. <laughs> um, so uh, can I see another one? Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> this <laughs> <laughs> Strange Hostel of Naked Pleasures is like the <laughs> safe marins movie. It's 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 not a load of fun. It's got some very surreal it's a very sensual, heavily sexual movie, but it's not like a fucking movie. It's it's just not like other it's not like how sex appears in the other films. But then you just mentioned before though, he didn't direct this. Yeah. He just co wrote it, produced it, used it. Oh, did the music for it, apparently. Uh, and that's a funny thing. The music in, in Aaron's movies is uh, odd. So it, it, sometimes there's like hints of choir. Choir-like. Yes. Almost angelic.
1: Sometimes especially in the early
2: ones.
1: Uh, yes, yeah, especially it feels, in the early ones. Some, it actually feels mm. satanic. It's like an old satanic mass in a lot of ways. When you see yeah. the first movie. Or sometimes it's
0: abrasively like like fuck nine-inch nails, you know, like the swan, something very deep, slow dirge-like and yet abrasive. You know what I'm, I'm trying yep. to say? Not exactly what you're saying. It's a good uh, uh, yeah, So good analogy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate. <that>. Well, speaking <laughs> of
0: hallucinations,
1: we now yes. go into. Well, actually, there's one in between which was hellish flesh, oh, which I didn't it? like. I did not like this film anyway. Uh, but it was a year before the one you were just about to get to. Um, you know, what is there to say about this one? Uh, basically, this couple, and they're, they're cheating on the one husband, and they end up throwing acid in the guy's face, and he comes back after him. It, again, it's it's totally not up to Marin's standards. Uh, it's it's really low-ranking. It's kind of like what he was doing for Trilogy of Terror there. Um I think that was the film trilogy the one that was with the, the three directors. Uh, there's really nothing to say about it. Again, it came out, and I think this was a British uh, Coffin gel set, which is much more comprehensive than the one that uh, the other company put out over here. Uh, but even so, it was like... Well, why'd you put that in the finished homage combs in there? You could have put bloody exorcism of Coffin Joe in there, you idiots. Uh, you know, it's just I don't understand why it was there. It's not that good. Uh and so I'll just jump in into since you were going there anyway. Uh you can address them both. Hallucinations uh, of a deranged mind, otherwise known as Delirio State Abnormal. this one is basically it's a clip fest. Uh what he did was Because Brazil was under censorship, I forget who the guy was running the place. It wasn't like – but it's the same idea as uh, Francisco Franco in in Spain. Uh, He had a lot of problems with the censors. So all of his films in the past, just to get them out there, even to the extent that they were out, uh, he had to clip a whole bunch of shit out. I don't even know to this day if they are necessarily – intact or if you still have the missing scenes that are only available in this film uh, so that's why people gravitate to it but it's not a good film it's, it's barely a film at all uh, basically uh, that's all it is is these scenes that were cut out from uh, Awakening of the Beast which was the drug film uh, the first two uh, or maybe it was the first Coffin Joe film uh, Bloody Exorcism of Coffin Joe like I mentioned And The Strange World of Coffin Joe, which was the better one of the anthology uh, films. Uh, And then there's like a little bit of extra stuff going around it, kind of like a, a framing device. Those of you who are around in the 70s, you remember how they always had the dreaded deadline, Doom, especially at Marvel? And you're expecting, like, okay, what's the next installment of the story? There's a five part story that's going on. Ah, shit, it's a reprint. And they had like three pages around it where they would have, you know, whatever it is, the Fantastic Four or something saying, oh, you know what? While I'm thinking about this, I remember the time when. And that's the kind of film it is. Yeah, yeah, Yeah.
3: yeah, Yeah,
1: it's just there for that. There's no reason for this shit to even be. Out as a film It's just like Okay well here I can put all the Censorship bits out That I couldn't get out Before because now The dictatorship was over The censorship was lifted So you know It's got historical value In that respect But it's not really a film (laughs) Uh, What did you think About those two films Well I mean
0: what I found Interesting about Hallucinations though Was that He's trying to Console Some guy A physician Or whatever Who thinks that Coffin Joe Who doesn't exist Right He's a fictional character He's trying to steal his wife, I don't know. Maybe the whole thing about Coffin Joe trying to find a woman to bear his ultimate love child, whatever. So he goes to to the filmmaker, Jose (laughs) (laughs) Mojica to to seek help. And so, I mean, there's some interesting things there, but, you know, the hallucinations the guy has are what you were just talking about. Those are the uh the 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 scenes from the movie, the other earlier films, actually all the earlier films. There's like you know, few minutes here, few minutes there, few minutes there. I mean, one thing too, we did, you know we didn't really address is that most of these older, Marion's pictures, they're pretty short. Yes. Uh,
1: they run uh, about Eighty an hour. minutes. Yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, around twenty. An Sixty-five
1: hour minutes, uh, seventy-five minutes, minutes, minutes you know that run. range maybe. Yeah.
0: So, uh, certainly not long movies.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I, I I I found that an interesting trope to say the least. But uh, it felt like it's been done before. Yeah. Because you, know, Mar- you know, Marins is playing somebody else, and then Coffin Joe is a is a figure that pops up. It just it gets complicated.
1: Okay. Then there's but one it was called Perchetti. It, it, it was it was like a cheat. You're right. Um, and that was my problem with it—not the fact that you've got some footage that you may not have been able to see in the other films. Maybe now you can. I can't remember, uh, but at the time you couldn't. But you know, it, it's just kind of a cheat. It's not really what you were expecting. Uh, so then he does a film called Perversion, which I don't think I've ever seen, so I can't really address it. Uh, have you seen this one? Um, yeah. How bad was it? It's 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 it's. Probably
0: as close to a sex film as you as one can get without going into hardcore territory, which he does right afterwards. (laughs) Yeah, which he does right afterwards. Um, it's it's misogynistic, mean spirited, and uh, he's kind of flabby. You know, I guess he's always been (laughs) a
2: little flabby. Yeah, and you
0: know, but he's not. But you know, the guy's walking around shirtless and with the. Long pants, like he's God's gift to women. Come on, you know. <laughs> and 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 and, there's a, just there's a certain mean spiritedness to it. And so, without being the the coffin Joe character as much, it becomes like, why am I watching this? You know, because it's <laughs> not coffin Joe character looking to terrorize women for whatever purpose and reason. You know what I'm saying? Do you know what I'm yep. trying to say? Sure.
1: So then he does a whole bunch of pornos, and they're not even. Which
2: I've
0: seen. two or three of those. (laughs) Did you see any of those?
1: No. If you still got them, I want to see them just for a laugh. But I mean, (laughs) why
0: would I keep those things?
1: Oh my god. They have. They're they're really. really... I was going to say they have even unimaginative titles because you look at this. It's like world market of sex, fifth dimension of sex, twenty four hours of explicit sex, forty eight hours of hallucinatory sex. I mean, really? (laughs) (laughs) But go ahead. Tell me what you're going to say about them. Well, well, (laughs)
0: it's just funny. I asked him about
1: the sex movies because
0: I I, I would. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) And the guy... He was my translator. And he... uh, He was... Ivan somebody. He was... Oh, you know who it was? He directed a Argentinian mummy film that got some notoriety. Anyway... It's neither here nor there. So, um, I asked this guy, so, what's up with the sex movies? And he said, well, Jose really did not want to make those movies. And the translator said, well, once he did, and he made so much money on them for profit, he made a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, homegrown porn. Um, yep. they like, they're like, they like Lena's Candy Costa, oh, know, yeah, pictures were just shot. You know, though, though the photography is a lot nicer than those. You know, a lot of these are shot in the jungle. But the women look dirty. They're unattractive. Um, <laughs> they, I mean, I'm not saying anything about Spanish women. I'm just saying the women yeah. that are in this film. And the... The uh, two of them, they're almost like one big picture that he must have cut into two. Uh, I think it's 24 Hours of Sex and the other one. Um, there's a story-ish kind of thing about some rebels, like guerrilla rebels. Right. That, that raid a campsite, and, and they rape these women. And you know, it has to be Marron's, right? Because all of a sudden, yeah. they can't really be spirit or anything. He's like, "Excuse me, sir. I, I'm watching a fuck film. I do not want to turn this off because it's disturbing me." Yeah. You
2: know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, really? You feel know, like
0: why? Why do? Why would you make a pornographic film with such distasteful? Now, other people have done it.
2: Yeah. You no, know, it's not
0: to say people have not done it. They've done it here too. The Avon films. The uh,
1: oh yeah. What's that Sean Costello one forced entry, you know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, I was gonna say Sean Costello. Yeah, those are nasty. There's a couple things like that. Yeah. What was it one? Um, hot summer in the city. Like, oh my God, really? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is not to be confused with Carter
0: Stevens' Summer in the City, which is actually cute. No, nah, it's different. But it's different. But uh, yeah, when you have this kind of thing, rape and punching, come on, and 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 he and, and you know what? The two or three. Marin sex films I saw. Um, after after that, I was like, I, you know, I had somebody was like, I got them all. You want them? I'm like, no, nah, I see. Them all. <laughs> it's sort of like, uh, yeah. Who who's to say? I would see more Tobolina. You know, over, over <laughs> Marin
2: sex films. Um, yeah, but
0: they're uh,
2: fun. <laughs> yeah, they're
0: bad, exactly. but they're fun. The point, That was my statement. I was trying to make. Yeah, the, you know, they're uneven. You never know what you're gonna get with a Tobolina film. It's like I I
1: said recently. It's like I I started. He's grown on me. It's like, well, okay, where's the next Tobolina from, so I can have a good laugh in the morning. They're they're bad, but they're bad to the point where it's like I've seen enough of them that I'm amused by them. Okay, bring another one on. What the hell? He must made some more. Well, they have
0: seven more, I think. (laughs) They just announced this week. They have seven more. Okay,
1: there we go. (laughs) I know what's happening uh, mm -hmm. some Saturday mornings. Yeah, <laughs> it actually is. Um, when I do the reviews for those For the porn That's what I do It's like Saturday morning My wife goes to work I'm saying Put them in Okay type of review There we go Put on the next one Type of review <laughs> Get them all done with you. I, well, mean, all I was the- going to tell them
0: I was going to tell them But I forgot the titles Like I did now But uh, this is another segue folks But we're doing good tonight um, The I recently saw What I consider The best totally film I've ever seen the story was good. The sex was hot. I was like, "This is a good movie." What was this? What was this? It was. It was. It was I swear. I, I sat and I watched it. Normally, I'm like, I'm like, "No, I like this What one. What Tobolina film was this? <laughs> I won't remember. I just said I forgot the title. No, <laughs> the next. The next night, I forgot the title of this one too. But I'll describe this one to you better. I don't want to ruin the other one I really like. I'll tell you when we do our sex show. So, the next night, I watched another Tobolino film. It was the worst one i ever seen. Yes. Yeah. I, I think I had his, his
1: his Mexican nephew. Was it Iris Medina? He had two with Iris Medina. Oh, my God, that girl is butch. She was gross. <laughs> they were That's the worst ones I've ever girl. seen. Yeah, oh, she's a, she's hideous. She's like uh, no, four foot about, two. No, it was Dominican, I think. It was a short haircut. Really butch. Oh, I'm not sure.
0: It was about this guy. I forgot who the guy was. Was it was it, uh, John Martin? Yeah, I think it was John Martin. Oh, and he right had there. a Spanish
2: buddy. Right. And
0: uh, and the guy, you could tell he was an intelligent guy, but he was playing like this... He was playing like a Mexican delivery man kind of thing. And they were both out of college. And it was a
3: horrible,
0: horrible film. I was like, wow. <laughs> if I wasn't... The... the Whatever I am up sleaze, I would, I would, I would like stop watching it. <laughs> but I made, I made it all the way through. But it was like, so one night I see the best Tobelina film ever, and the other night I see the worst Tobelina film ever. Yep.
3: Totally. So why did
0: I bring yep. this up? Because in America, any anywhere, you know, uh, filmmakers who like dabble in porn and like this guy was churning out lots of these things for for years and years. He was good at. It. He was adept at it. You know, he made some good. He made a lot of movies. He made some that he, almost all of them are entertaining. A uh, few are like wow, and a few are like wow, it's not too bad. So, but when Maron's made different kinds of films, when he made these kind of pictures to to make them for profit, he just his heart wasn't in it, and they were sadistic because I guess he just went for the thing he was more comfortable with, which was sadism.
1: Yeah. So basically he stopped making pornos around I guess eighty seven, eighty eight, somewhere around there, and more or less dropped into if you want to call it obscurity and just, you know, the legend built over here in this country after that, through something weird, through interviews, through whatever, uh the word of mouth went around, people start seeing these films. Uh and all of a sudden he's faded enough that somebody comes to him and says, Hey, do you have any movies you want to make? He's like, oh, well, you know, I never did finish the, quote, Coffin Joe trilogy, even though Coffin Joe was sort of in a couple of those films we mentioned, and some you them even have Coffin Joe in the title. Technically, you know, the original trilogy, like, okay, he had the one film where he was just screwing his girlfriend, there, Terenzina or whatever, uh, and she hung herself, and then he goes to the graveyard. He had the next film where he was trying to find replacement virgins or whatever the hell, you know, torture them all, and then he goes to hell, and then that was it. So he's like, okay, you know, I got a third part that I never wrote uh, or never did anything with. So he does this thing called Embodiment of Evil. And since it is more recent, it's a lot more uncomfortable. Uh, I don't know about anybody else, but when I watch something from the 60s or the 70s or even the 80s, there's enough of a remove uh, in terms of – you know, the fashions, the clothes, the music, everything, the stylistics, you know, the aesthetics of it, uh, that mm. it doesn't bother me usually. I mean they have films that really get intense, but they don't really bother me that much. Maybe they, they aren't pushing the envelope quite as much. Maybe it just feels a little bit more subdued or distant in time, a little more artificial. Uh there's something about it that doesn't bother me as much. When you get something that's more mm. modern, it's more day-glow, 4K, in-your-face, and a little rough. And that's kind of the problem I have with this one. Uh, I can't honestly say that I liked it because it bothered me, but I can't say that I hated it either because it was very much a Coffin' Jill film. You can tell that Marin's not only stars in it, obviously, he's an old man, uh, but that he was involved with writing it, at least. Uh, I don't know if he directed it, uh, but basically he does finish up the story of Coffin Joe um, once again he's brought back to life he's got this little man going around uh, he's got this disciples or whatever the hell they bring him you know he's going to be, gonna be the perfect woman for you or whatever the hell he's always trying to do uh, cops are well that's the difference here it's more modern day so you've got cops involved and they're trying to figure out who's doing all these murders or whatever else uh, there's one point where some guy stabs him with the cross Uh but nonetheless, at the end of the thing, he's I guess dead or whatever. But uh, all of his virgins that he managed to pick, which you know, it's, it's funny virgins because they're all like tattooed sluts and stuff. But you know, again, another thing about modern films that you didn't get in the old days—you uh, can't really suspend any disbelief when you see like you know with a tramp stamp, some of the tramp stamps and all skank trying to be like, oh yeah, look, I'm the sexy like hot girl. Like mm, you're the skank. <laughs> but uh, nonetheless they're all pregnant now. So he actually got his way, even though he's, I guess, dead. Um, It's not a great Mm -hmm. film. It's certainly the least of all the Coffin Joe-related films. But, you know, is it still more, or at least as entertaining as something like *Finnish Hominis? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, I certainly appreciate that somebody bothered to put it out. Was it a great film that I need to see often? No. It's kind of like when, um, was it Mother Macabre? Somebody had put out a it wasn't a Ramsey Brothers film, which I love, but it was like a Indian uh horror film called ah, geez, do you remember the one? You know what I'm talking about, right? They're kind of like on a road trip. There's really obnoxious millennials. They're all Indians obviously. And they go and stop off and there's like some old gypsy woman tells them don't go into the woods and then it becomes like a slasher film uh and right. it gets really gross. Uh I forget the name of the damn film. Hell's Ground, that's it. Uh you know, on the one hand it's like, well, I guess in a way I'm glad I saw it. It's not something I would necessarily like throw out, but is it something I'm gonna watch often? Nah, hell no. It's just, you know, I'd rather stick to like a Ramsey Brothers film. So that's the same thing here with this Coffin Joe film. I'd rather stick to, you know, Bloody Exorcism of Coffin Joe or, you know, D- Tonight I'll possess your soul or your corpse or You know, one of those films would be infinitely preferable to Embodiment of Evil. That said, am I glad somebody put it out? Yeah, I'm glad it got made, you know, uh, at least to finish up the Coffin Joe story to see how, what he could do in a modern day and age for better or worse. So what's your take on this one?
0: Um, I, I I, I really have nothing new to share, but I agree with you. It's, yeah, newer film, but kind of harder to take, especially with the sadism and such. Um, yeah. It's re- kind of it's it's. Because he pulled it off when he was kind of ageless for about two decades. Mm-hmm. But now there's an old man seeing an old man wanting to screw these hot skanky chicks. It's yeah. Well, they're not hot.
1: But, but yeah, it's kind of,
0: oh.
1: That's where it gets really weird. Cause like I said, they're, they're skanks, so they're kind of, I don't know if they're like gross, but they're just kind of like teasing, to get some fucking disease, you better wear protection here. And you've got this old fat guy there, you know, balding fat guy, and it's supposed to be like intimidating, like He's like somebody's grandpa. I mean, like, right, whatever. So he's got the top hat it's and the long fingernails, but you know. <laughs> that, yeah,
0: that, that makes it even creepier.
1: In a way. I guess um, you can make it that way.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> With that being said, I recently saw it on Facebook of all places. Otherwise, I would never have known about this. There's a new movie. It's already made. They're shopping for a distributor. Um... It's the story of Jose Marins and the making of the first two Coffin Joe movies. Okay. And um, I saw the trailer on YouTube. I'm sorry, I don't remember the name of the damn movie or who made it. It's professionally done, so it's not a uh, cheap movie. And they kind of have the feel of it because the guy who looks like who plays Marins looks like Marins when he was young younger, and they do the whole thing with Coffin Joe, Marins, Coffin Joe, Marins, you know, like the is it the character, is it the actor, is it the character, is it the actor, is a really interesting trailer, and um, I'll try to remember, so when we do next week's show, I can at least mention the title,
1: so those
0: of you who might be interested.
1: So, is there anything else you wanted to say about uh, any of our three directors today from Argentina and Brazil?
0: No, um... Uh, uh, Isabel Starley, we covered her. You're mm-hmm. going to cover me. Um, she's probably <laughs>
2: 72 now. Um...
0: <laughs> uh. is no, Isabel Starley films uh, Amanda Boe. There, there's there's uh, a, a few that are crazily enjoyable. One that's a sure pop classic, uh, which is Fuego, correct? Right? Yep. And... Uh, Emilio Vieira uh, uh, Argentine filmmaker who uh, dabbled in some kind of hammer-esque horror uh, Heaving Bosom Girls eh? sweet <laughs> um, <laughs> Divergence You liked The Deadly Organ Right um, but There's Bestia, there's too, and of course The Curious Dr. Hump*, and uh, which is its more well-known English language title and of course and Joe, we just finished covering him a
1: weird, strange, character. and oddly <laughs> philosophical for all this crap of like yes. where you're pushing it into torture porn and wherever else. At heart, he's struggling existentially with, you know, where he stands in terms of uh, not necessarily just religion, but in terms of life. You know, what is my philosophy? Where do I really think? Uh, why am I here on this earth? And where do we go afterwards? And does it matter? And he's, he's fighting with these issues. He's not throwing them away. He's not just ignoring them. He's not saying, oh, well, you know, I disagree with this stuff. Fuck you. It doesn't mean anything. He's not like an atheist. He's not a Richard Dawkins or some asshole like that. He's got his head up his ass. He's actually thinking about this stuff and you know trying to find his way for better or worse he may be making the wrong choices but nonetheless he is thinking about this stuff and i respect that i really do enjoy uh at least the earlier and a couple of the ones that we mentioned on the way uh the coffin Jail films uh so um so i guess that's it for this week uh next week uh we will be talking well, without parallel, the single most influential and beloved British cult television series, this side of Doctor Who, was the quirky, often campy take on the 60s spy genre, Sidney Newman's and later Brian Clemens' Avengers. Uh, starting life at the very dawn of the 1960s as a gritty, nice street-level crime series with overt government involvement, Patrick and Dean's iconic British intelligence man, John Steed, cycled through a succession of civilian partnerships, moving from a suave yet icily cold-blooded black ops type to a far warmer, even goofily campy father figure, throughout the series' long run. So join us as we work our way through the Dr. Keel and Venus Smith era to the outstanding Kathy Gale era, which was Honor Blackman, and Emma Peel era, which was Diana Rigg, uh, to the more questionable Tara King, Linda Thorson, and New Avengers you with run. Gareth Hunt. Gareth Hunt and Joanna Lumley runs. <laughs> <laughs> and we will bring a touch of class to our usual espionage as we talk champagne, bongos, and sword cans, John Stephen the Avengers. Uh, so anything else you want to close out on? No, no, no.
0: Please tune in next week. Uh, uh, it's not your Marvel Avengers. This is the no, real no. deal. And, uh, yeah, fans of Doctor Who, Brit Har oh, Brit Hart, sorry. Uh, <laughs> just people into British uh, TV. Brit Cult TV is what I meant to say. Uh, yep. I think it'll be really fun for everyone. And uh,
1: uh, Yeah, I'm we had really... done a show a few months back on British Cult Television, and we just kind of ended up dropping and name-checking Avengers because it was too much to cover in one show. So was too much uh, we'll to cover.
0: Be... It's too big. And, and uh, they even had two years of the new Avengers. So, you know, we yep. can certainly uh, – it's time to devote a whole show.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully we'll get through it. Yeah, so join us uh, next week, and thank you for listening to tonight. And uh, he's saying be kind because uh, he knows where I'm going to go with Linda (laughs) Thorson. So uh, let's get to the closed music, and we will see you next week. So thanks for joining us tonight. We hope you enjoyed our little drawing room chat on uh, Coffin Joe and Lila Vieira and uh, Ismail Sarli. Next week, we talk to the Avengers. Uh, if you want to contact us here, comments, suggestions, or you're a filmmaker, musician, or can join us on air, drop us a line on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Weird Scenes 1, or our website, weirdscenes1.wordpress.com. You can also catch us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash Weird Scenes 1, or at Weird Scenes 1. Where Jesus on the gold mine brought to you by the Papa online network. Come on, go for
2: Of you, a middle aged mom with piles of laundry and a meditation practice. I've been down many roads to get where I am today, and my journey is far from finished. But I'd like to share my experience and hard earned wisdom with you. So, what is it about women and spirituality? It seems like we're always the first to try out something new. Christianity was spread in large part by wealthy women. And where would Uncle Al be without his scarlet women? Who is by and far the largest audience of New Age alternative spirituality? What is it about us that always has us seeking? And why does it always seem that men tend to take over what we discover?
1: Join us for a dialogue between two long-lost friends representing both the Yin and yang aspects of the whole, each of whom have traveled multifarious paths all across the spectrum of spirituality, the dark side,
2: and the light,
1: from the organized to the out of the way.
2: This show is for all those frustrated in their quest who've been through various thoughts on the spectrum
0: of
1: spirituality and found them ultimately unfulfilling. Join us for some hard-earned lessons and thoughts on potential new directions and possible value in what inevitably fails in organized practice, but which may have some merit to the solo practitioner, fellow seekers of truth, in this journey towards life. Moving
2: towards life. Lessons in life and spirituality from an unconventional seeker.
1: Bringing more to you, only here on the Big Papa Online Network, on Block Talk Radio.